0: Hey, strangers, welcome to another episode of the Strange Sessions. As always, I am Kurt, and I am joined once again by my lovely co host Krista. And today we have making his fourth appearance on the show. I think fourth. Sounds right. Is my lovely brother, Corey Konechny. Oh, I got a lovely. You got a, lo- you got a lovely. Welcome,
1: Corey. Welcome, Welcome back. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Welcome. To, I think you're our first guest in the Strange Cellar. Yes, no. he is. And you approve? I do approve. Good. Good, and good, he's good, good.
1: a stranger favorite. He always gets really good feedback
0: when he he's does. on the he show. He does. He gets super good feedback when mm-hmm. he's on the show.
2: You would think after the fourth time I'd be a little less nervous all
0: the time. But. <laughs> like I, I it, said, I it had five a, minutes. I drank a lot of beer those first couple episodes we did because I was so nervous. You yeah. know, so it takes a little while.
1: Well, and it's different because you're not just coming on to chat, you're he, coming on to do part he, of the show. Like he showed <laughs> <Yeah>. up with <laughs> yeah. a story. Yeah. It's a different, you know, ball yep. game when you're running part of the show. Yep.
2: Do Where's we have that you guys are gonna be like disappointed in what I pick or what I choose to do. No, because no. you're not you're
0: not so much like a paranormal guy. You like no. the true crime stuff. Yeah, and we Which like I the, love. we yeah. like the true crime stuff too. Totally. It's just we, we maybe need to do more true crime stuff. Missing people. I mean yours does have a yeah. like an unanswered question.
2: If I would be on here for ghosts or UFOs? Be I'd be like, no, be it's like, all not, fake. It's <laughs> all it's <laughs> BS. It's nothing. you so.
1: a real bummer. Okay, yeah. <laughs> hey, we poo-poo on stuff too. That we, we normally would, you know, totally we believe do. in.
0: Do we have any weather talk? It's
1: well, it's dark and dismal today.
0: Yeah. Just like it snowed a couple days it ago. It snowed a couple days ago, but no, then it it's melted like quick. Going
1: to be 50s or 60s today. So I've had all Springing sorts of Wisconsin. issues lately.
0: Stress issues. Had a panic attack at work. Took a couple days off. This was a rough week. My apartment complex was on fire last night. <laughs> So I got very little sleep. So, yeah. But so you're thank, here. Thank God Corey is here <laughs> to Yeah, do well, this one.
1: I'm just thankful nothing happened to your apartment or you. So <sighs> Yeah.
0: I I don't know how bad the fire was. It was in one of the apartments. But it's like, do I got to pack up Narnia, my cat?
1: So what time did you, when did this happen? Like
0: 1 o'clock. In the morning? Yeah. Oh. Like I heard a beeping noise. And I thought it was like something in my living room. So I went out there and there was nothing there. And I heard it coming from the hallway. And I'm like, well, I don't smell smoke, so it's not a fire. So I went back to bed, and like half an hour later, I just happened to wake up. Something might have woke me up, but I'm laying in bed like looking at my my ceiling by my drapes, and all of a sudden, it got super bright. Mm. And I was like, what's going on? And I went and looked, and there must have been like five fire trucks outside my apartment, and the firemen were coming in the door, and I didn't know what to do. You know, I got dressed, obviously. Yeah. but <laughs>
1: You didn't show up in your whitey
3: tighty.
0: No, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. And uh, <laughs> I just sat in my apartment. I'm like, do I got to pack up Narnia? Do what do I need to? Right. I was starting to gather stuff I thought I would need if it was burning down. But they never even came up to my door. And mm-hmm. then I was watching. And then after like 15, 20 minutes, they shut everything off and left. But my building smells like smoke really bad now.
2: So you didn't see like the fire hoses or anything? Like they weren't no. actively doing anything when you saw them? No, they were all standing on the sidewalk,
0: like looking at, at the point apartment. At that it was over already. Yeah, Maybe yeah. It was yeah. So small. I might I probably fell asleep during the actual fire segment i don't know
1: so being woken up in the middle of the night by anything yeah is just jarring because you're and so vulnerable you know I'm,
0: i usually sleep in gosh you know, more information than our listeners need but i usually sleep in a t-shirt and just my underwear yeah yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> and not my lucky podcasting underwear that's just for podcasting okay. days Like I said, somebody's meth lab probably went up. Oh, probably, yeah. Knowing that. Or Or somebody fell asleep smoking a little something. something. Yeah, knowing the complex I live in, I would not be surprised. Nikki that listens, you'll know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so it's been a day. Um, It's been a week. It's been a month. This year has sucked. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Wow.
1: (laughs) Well, I did a tarot reading this morning that was supposed to be just a general for myself. I haven't done it in a week. Usually I do it every day. And uh, the card I pulled did not pertain to anything I'm dealing with. And I thought because you're coming here today, it pertained to you because yeah. it was about like the struggle you're dealing with right now financially and with your job is yeah. coming to an end and there's probably a new job coming in your future or someone's going to offer to help you financially. So I felt like that was very specific to I what you're doing so. <laughs> right I did now. say
2: you could move into the basement.
0: Yeah. So maybe Could that move would... into Corey's basement. Nice. Uh, you could be a basement dweller i I did make an appointment to talk to because we get so many free counseling sessions for work so i did make an appointment to talk to a counselor so we're going to see how that goes but like everybody that knows me says it's time i need to go on anti-anxiety medication so we'll see how that goes. Anxiety. Sucks. Anyway, enough of Kurt. Enough of Kurt's problems. Kurt's corner. <laughs> Kurt's corner. <laughs> uh, Shout outs to our two new strangers since what? last time. To only That's two. It? Yep, we're packing it in. We're done. Nobody cares anymore about <laughs> this us. This
1: is our last show. Uh,
0: Shout outs to John Thomas and William Doster. or Doster. Thank you guys so much for joining the strangers. And housekeeping. Before we forget, I just want to say the next episode is going to be a catch up episode. We have nothing, have nothing but ketchup. Nothing but it's gonna be ketchup Spooky talk. Ketchup. Tomatoes Dunstines. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Big, Bigfoot holding a Big ketchup <laughs> bottle. Holding a ketchup <laughs> bottle. But we have a bunch of packages from listeners we want to open and voicemails, stories. We, we think this episode might go a little long, so we're gonna just do that all next episode. So if you sent us one of these packages, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna open that next episode. We're just gonna we're gonna play some voicemails we got. We're gonna probably read some emails we got. I'm probably gonna bring up some stuff that I meant to talk about episodes ago but forgot. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, I do have two short stories we could also do. Sweet. That are that crazy days and nights website I go to. That's like a gossip blind website where it's just like celebrity gossip. But every now and then they have something like interesting. So okay. I'm gonna talk about two of those stories. And it'll just be a nice, laid-back episode.
3: Nice.
0: So, what other housekeeping? We also want to say that we are gonna put a poll out there, and we want to know. I
1: immediately forgot to mention. I know. This. <laughs> oh <my laughs> I gosh. know.
0: That's why I'm glad I did. Terrible at this. Uh, we've gotten a couple letters and, and stuff and feedback from people. Really
1: uh, nice feedback. Yeah,
0: nice feedback. Super nice feedback about not really liking the taste test segment and the titillating twenty. Yeah. You know, So we might put a poll out there about just jumping right into the episode at the start and then saving all that stuff for the end of the episode. But, but
1: having said that, if you're just joining us for the first time, check your show notes because there is a timestamp yes. in there for when the actual topic is going to start. Yeah. So we won't be offended. And actually, we won't even know if you no, fast it, forward to that. It's button. hard
0: because some people don't like the titillating 20 and the taste test. Some people love it. And some people only listen to that. Yeah. So it's like, what can we do that would please everybody?
1: I think moving it to the end actually makes sense, and
0: and then maybe putting a timestamp for what time the taste test. Yeah. Maybe I mean, but we're we gonna... could be
1: losing quality strangers. Yeah. who are turned off by that.
0: That's probably why we only got two new ones this week. <laughs> 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 but uh, we'll put we'll we'll discuss this in the strangers Facebook group.
1: Corey, what do you think? I don't know.
0: I mean, I, I do the same thing on like YouTube videos where
2: I look to see what either the stories are. Um, and then I look at the timestamp. And if I don't like the first story, I'll skip to the timestamp. But it's been, was it five seasons, four <laughs> yeah. years now? And <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I know you guys have always been like, if people don't like the way we do it, then I know. bleep them. Yeah. But, and maybe
1: it is just saying what time, to check the timestamp. We don't yeah. say that enough. We, we say don't, it maybe yeah. once we, a season. We,
0: yeah. we. I have it down at the bottom of like the episode topic, whatever the episode description is. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll start saying that more just to check what time the actual episode starts.
2: Yeah. That's probably
0: why you only had two new yeah new I'm listeners. Sure it is. Was
2: they they heard the last podcast? I heard I was going to be on. Oh, stop! <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> did
1: Whatever. we mention that in the last episode? I don't remember.
2: Yeah, you said I was going to be on. So <laughs>
0: no, you're one of the you are one of the uh, Your preferred fan regulars. Favorite. Yep. Recurring character. I think mm-hmm. one, did the voicemail say something about a recurring character. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're one of the favorite recurring characters for sure. Do we have any other housekeeping? I don't think so. Yeah, we're gonna.
1: Oh yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: to put her finger so up in here she's like yes we do <laughs>
1: it's like i've never done this before so great news our tea public store is back up and running <laughs> i did take one of the the t-shirts off of there it's the toy and be tile one because yeah. it's too special i don't want it on that website i'm sorry but my friend i'm working with is creating the t-shirts his family owns like a merchandise store and uh i got a quote from him i kind of have a preliminary order in and, and side note the Crescent Hotel is a huge customer of theirs, and that's like allegedly one of the most haunted hotels in the U.S. So that's I awesome. thought that was an interesting well, tie-in. So watch for that. But yeah, you can go out to T Public right now and order a T-shirt if you want. Yes. But until we they still, shut us we, down. Yeah, again. we still don't know what they shut us down for. Really. No, they still haven't given me an explanation. But they. Yeah, said, it's the government. Upon
0: government shut review, us. Government shut it down. Sure. We're too close to the truth.
2: Yep, that's it. I did see somebody mention they thought it might be something automatic where yeah. like it was done by like a bot AI. and it just never let you know as to why?
1: It could be. But. I never thought of that until they mentioned that. It could be. Something got yeah. flagged. I don't know. Yeah. I I'm I suspect it might have been the Toy and B tile.
0: But that's not, but a, tra- I don't it's know not a registered, why. it's not a copyrighted right. image.
1: And it's it's original art that someone made yes. specifically for us with our names in it. So I don't, I don't know.
2: know. Maybe that's what the bot does. It scans the internet, the internet to see, to see, see if, if something picture pops up. That's possible.
1: Yeah. It could be. I don't know. I'm going to stop trying to figure out yeah, it out. <laughs> exactly. And if we even got the money from the sales that we did make. Yeah. They did give us that money. Yeah, so which is I'm awesome. I'm happy about that. So cool. All right. Taste test?
0: Any, yeah, anything else? I don't think so. Uh, It'll be in the catch-up episode next episode if we did forget something. yep,
1: Or not, because nobody's taking notes on anything. So
0: we are going to do, <laughs> let's do this taste test one from last week that we're not sure if this has hazelnuts in it or not. I think it does. I can't eat hazelnuts. These two can. So I'm sitting this one out. This one is for Corey and... Oh, should I take a picture? Quick? Krista. I'm
1: going to take a picture of Corey
0: holding it. Corey and creepy Krista.
1: I thought I was, um, what's my name? What's
0: oh. What's like um, Jezebel.
1: Jezebel, that's right, and Dirty Kurt. Dirty Kurt. <laughs> Jezebel. Sure, why not? <clears throat> they kind of look like nerds. Dirty Kurt. You know, like a box. That's nerds what it looks like. Is like.
0: Oh, I wanted Cory to try those ones that we had that were like. Oh, they're in here. That were like weirdly salty. <laughs>
2: yeah. It looks like jelly beans. I can't imagine there'd be hazelnut.
0: No, you. But you guys tried them anyway, just in case.
2: All right.
1: Last thing Kurt needs is to go into like yeah that was called just anaphylactic shock
0: <laughs> that would just that would just be the topper to this last oh, week that's or so two
1: so cute
2: yeah, I grabbed yeah, what yellow. looks to be a yellow and a pink jelly bean
1: gomp it's called gomp, gomp. okay how well, they do just look like jelly beans why would there be hazelnuts in here
0: it probably isn't okay. we're just gonna take the safer out well
1: whoa, whoa. hold on.
0: I wonder now okay. if you. I wonder if it's my allergies that are bad because it's like I'm weirdly stuffed up and yeah,
1: could be.
2: We'll we'll we both smell, smell at the same time. There's no smell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, ready? Which one you got? Yellow? Um, I'm doing a pink. I'll do a yellow.
1: Okay. I mean, it, it tastes like, like a, like a jelly bean. bean. Is it good? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I don't
1: know why you couldn't eat this. Give me one. I'm going to try it. Let me taste the yellow. Well, you just tasted the yellow? Yeah, yeah. the yellow. The pink is really good.
2: Yellow is mm. like a more citrusy. Oh, okay. I didn't mm-hmm. try the pink yet. but don't you mm-hmm. open
1: that? Yeah, the yellow is citrusy. It's good. The pink is more like... It kind of reminds me of like the pink flavor of Starburst.
0: Yeah. I'm excited to try this. Oh, I
1: could have given you this. It's open.
0: Nope, I'm excited to try these. I'll take one of each. Oh. Yeah,
2: I would say the yellow is citrusy. Mm-hmm. The red or pink is more rose, champagne-ish. hmm Yeah. Hmm. It's more of a... A subtle, fruity... Yeah. Mm, it's good, though.
0: It's not like a... Well, Those are good.
2: They're really good.
1: I don't know why there would be hazelnuts in it's this. It's
0: more of a subtle jelly bean flavor.
1: I mean, I read her letter a couple mm. times thinking, well... If, I'm gonna try to some
0: candy. if I die, just let me go.
1: Oh, stop.
0: Mm. I'm going you to give
1: you mouth-to-mouth. Put you in your So cup. you Sweet. like it or not. <laughs>
0: At least we didn't have fishy things. (laughs) That's true. Um, try those knots. Yeah, that's the one that I was strangely attracted to because they're Are they
1: the ones that have the licorice flavor too?
0: They're they're I think they're like a licorice flavor, but they're like a it's salty. It's like weirdly salty.
1: Eric was Eric, he's from is he from Norway? I think so. He was saying there's different flavors.
2: Definitely black licorice. Yeah. But are are you you getting the crazy saltiness too? or is that just us? <laughs> it takes
1: a minute to kick in, I think. That was it, right? That was what we thought was salty? Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, Has the first, you, the are first you taste, try taste is Idaho spud. Yeah,
2: I'll try. Okay. On. Yeah, the first taste is black licorice. And then it's like and salty. then once you start chewing, it's salty. Salty. Okay. But not not badly salty, but yeah. just
0: like like a like, a, like, I like sometimes salty like caramel sea salt stuff yeah, can be good
1: stuff. Yeah. I get, I brought these to my yeah. my teammates cuz we had a Did crafty you? day. They didn't try them in front of me, but everybody took one home, so I should have gotten some feedback. They're good,
0: though. The Idaho spuds are good.
1: Yeah. We're only 15 minutes in, so okay. if you want to try the Idaho, try spread, the Idaho I think spud, you
2: should. Did you see the back where it says, oh, it's a sugar confectionery with licorice, salty licorice, oh. and peppermint <laughs> flavor.
0: <laughs> I mean, no, Who we, reads package? We didn't read that us? package. Okay, then.
1: <laughs> All right. I'm not sure like what salty licorice is, but. Salty licorice. I feel like <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory.
0: Uh, I like self-explanatory.
2: Lands in my palate. <laughs> Clans in
0: his palate with his energy drink? With
2: a fruity drink. The watermelon monster.
1: Do you like coconut, Corey? I do. Okay.
2: It's weird you're both looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting with bated breath. What do you think?
1: Does it remind you of a
0: moon pie a it's little like bit? A, the, the, the inner consistency mm-hmm. is like a moon pie.
2: Yeah, it's like a dark chocolate. With like a moon pie, pie kind middle. of flavor, like a marshmallow,
1: and then the coconut on the outside is sort of like a brings in a almond joy feel to yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> like a it's feel. an interesting hybrid. Yeah, of, it is. I thought they were really good. So did I. Different. Mm-hmm. It's you know not often we get candy that's so unique. Yeah,
2: I'm trying to figure out what that inside reminds me. It of. It reminds
1: me a little bit of a Three Musketeers, but yeah. but a little spongier, a little more marshmallowier. Yeah, I know that they make those <laughs>
2: flavored marshmallows, and I think that when kids were younger, they liked to have the flavored marshmallows. and I think, like, a chocolate marshmallow that's what it reminds me of.
3: <laughs>
0: Very I, good. I hate marshmallows, and I hate even worse are flavored marshmallows. Yeah, you also I used love to hate
2: marshmallows. Cool but... ranch I
0: did used to hate No, I didn't hate them. It said yeah. I had a taste aversion to them because I don't know if we ever told that story on here that when I was like a young kid, I want to say like 10, 11. I had I was sick with the flu, but I ate like a half a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, and I threw up all day. Oh and I had not touched oh, them no. since then. I would not. I'd get like physically sick if hmm. I saw like a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. It's funny
1: how that works, right? And
0: then, uh, like five years ago, maybe, yeah, I was over by Corey and Nicole and the kids for Thanksgiving, and just for a joke, they put the bag on the middle in the middle of the table, of Cool Ranch Doritos. So finally, I'm like, <laughs> Corey what? looks very proud. Finally, of I'm like, what the hell? And I went in and got one and. And I'm like, oh my god, these are so good! They so are now, now I'm back hooked on Cool Ranch Doritos oh, after not eating them for what thirty years? Yeah, I think for thirty-five plus years. I think everybody has something like that. Mine is potato pancakes. Yeah, you can't eat potato oh. pancakes because no, you got smell
2: them frying. Yum. Yeah, makes me nauseous.
0: Because he got sick. Mine on them. is pickles. I'm still like that with, with uh, sour cream and onion Pringles because I got sick on those. Mm. Oh. The Did one... I tell
1: you why I can't eat pickles? Why I don't like to eat pickles? No,
0: I didn't know you didn't like to eat pickles. Oh, I,
1: yeah, they're disgusting. I, you, Yeah, no kidding. All an the awful pickle, lot of pickle stuff that stuff everybody on gives table. us, I'm horrified by it. I worked in a pickle factory when I was kind of out of high school, just very temporarily, because apparently the smell of warm <laughs> dill pickles and conveyor belts shooting cucumbers past you is not a good combination i was nauseated like all day oh, every i guess, day I, that could I, see. I, guess I could
0: imagine that so
1: now just the smell takes me back there and yeah i i can eat a pickle once in a while under perfect conditions
0: i thought you loved pickles no
1: i don't i do not like pickles and yet pickles is our thing i don't like anything pickled nothing <laughs> it's weird pickled eggs Ooh. i love
0: pickled eggs, pickled eggs. Mm. no hard-boiled eggs yes not pickled eggs, it's a though. it's a vinegar flavored hard-boiled egg
1: I know. (laughs) She just gave me such a a dirty look. (laughs) How dare you insult me with your pickled eggs.
0: Are we ready to jump into the main topic? I think we
1: are, and we're a couple minutes ahead of schedule, so...
0: So, Corey? Yes? Would you like to go first? Sure. Do we want to do anything before that? We're good? I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay. Do we have any... Are we forgetting a segment? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so either. Not
1: this time. Corey will keep us on task.
2: Um, the Lisa Lam thing? Is that later? The Lisa
0: Lam thing we'll do towards the end.
1: Sure. Mine will be shorter. Do yeah. you want me to go first?
0: No, that's fine. I okay. just did not know if because I didn't no? watch the Elisa Lamb documentary that you guys watched, so you okay. guys can talk about that. So yeah, Corey is going to do. What's your What's your topic? My topic is the Lindbergh baby kidnapping.
1: Oh, that's right. You did tell me you was going to do this. Exciting. Yeah, nice. I, I,
0: I know a little bit about it, <laughs> but you? I don't really know a lot about it.
1: Just what I've seen kind of in passing documentaries, etc.
2: Yeah, I mean, normally I don't like to do anything that old. You're looking at ninety years ago almost, but it's kind of getting like a resurgence now that you're getting close to that 100 year mm, anniversary. Yeah. sure. Because anything from like the 30s or 20s, I mean, it's such a different lifestyle and such a different environment and a different times. To be able to try to apply stuff from the current, like even like current forensics to stuff that was going on in the 30s is just night and day. Mm-hmm. So usually I try to avoid it, but this one is obviously they referred to it as the crime of the century. So it's definitely got some interesting parts to it so all right i'll go ahead uh, a little backstory uh for those that don't know charles Lindbergh started out as an airmail pilot and he was also a military officer in 1927 at the age of 25 he was the first person to solo the non-stop transatlantic flight from new york to paris seven other people had tried this feat three actually died before he was able to do it his famous aircraft was known as the spirit of st louis that's it Spirit of St. Louis. I his, did not know that. His <laughs> flight took 33 and a half hours and covered 3,600 miles. Dang. So then the question has always been, like, did he have a jar? <laughs> or was he wearing some kind <laughs> of... There was no soda bottle. Hanging, bottle his, like hanging his butt out the plane window. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> he won something called the Ortig Prize, of which was $25,000, which back then was quite a amount of money. He was awarded the the Medal of Honor and the Distinguished Flying Cross. And after this and his distinguished military career, he was as close as you could get to what we would call the worldwide celebrity. He married Anne Morrow, who was the daughter of an ambassador. The ambassador's name was Dwight Morrow. They married in 1929. They had six children, the first of which was Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr., born in 1932, And they had an estate called Highfields in East Amwell, New Jersey. And you know it's got to be big when you have a name for it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, On March 1st, 1932, about 7.30 to 8 p.m., Anne was taking a bath and Charles was in the library. The Lindbergh's live-in maid, Betty Gow, went to check on Charles Jr. in his second-floor bedroom. She ran down and told Mr. Lindbergh that the baby was not in the room. They raced to the room and discovered the ransom note and no baby. Mr. Lindbergh then grabbed a gun, grabbed his butler, and went to look around the yard. Under the window to the room, they noticed tracks, of which were never photographed or measured, a ladder, which was homemade and built in three pieces, and a baby blanket. The local police, state police, and his attorney were immediately notified.
1: Seems pretty obvious what happened there. Yeah,
2: uh, it's easy to underestimate just how famous and celebrated this family was. Um, they may have been the most famous family in the world at that point. Granted, it was 1932, but it would be similar to having the child of, say, Bill Gates, Michael Jordan, or Neil Armstrong, all in their primes, be kidnapped. I thought you were going to say the Kardashians. Oh, God. Yeah, that's cl- I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of that's close. Not my cup of tea. No, it's not yeah, my cup of that's tea. As close, very famous. That's yeah. as
0: close as maybe to what you would get currently. Yeah. Where it would be on the news constantly. Yes, if something like that happened here, um, we don't really celebrate
2: military personnel or people who break records like that today. So there really is no apples to apples comparison. I mean, your Kardashian reference is probably as close <laughs> to, I mean, those that are up on popular culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make a point about how popular this family was. It is said that Al Capone himself called the kidnapping the most outrageous thing I've ever heard of, quote, unquote, Wow. and yeah. offered $10,000 for information leading to the return of the child. Really? You don't yes. want Al Capone mad at you. Interesting. Nope. Even he said it was yeah. the most outrageous thing I've ever heard of. Wow. So as the police arrive, they truly had little to work with. They believe that one or more people came to the house with a crude homemade ladder, and the ladder, again, was three pieces, and it definitely took some engineering to make, and it appeared to be broken on the middle section side rail. So if you think about it, it was three sections, and it was connected by a, a rail, like a post that goes through it yeah. to make sure that they don't fall. And the middle section side rail, the left or right side, were broken.
0: Why did they make a ladder? Did they not have their own ladder?
2: I think in 1932 they you didn't you have, You could like, just go to True Valley and, and Fleet, fleet It's possible you could, but and to get to the second floor... I don't think that they made That's true. It might
0: have, you might need like a larger yeah, I don't ladder. know when extension
2: ladders were mass produced.
1: Well, and that was a wooden ladder, I'm sure. Yes, wood. Maybe they didn't want to raise suspicions by going out Somewhere. and buying a ladder.
2: Yeah, yeah. So they assumed that they entered the room through the window and took Charles Jr., put the ransom note on the sill, went back down, and drove off. No one in the house heard anything. The police looked for fingerprints on the ladder and ransom note but didn't find any. So they assumed the kidnappers were wearing gloves. And also, forensics in the 30s, like we said, wasn't like it is now, <laughs> right. where they were able to do all these casts and pictures and molds and bring their CSI light.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> their blue or
3: black <laughs> light. <laughs> their, their, their black
2: light. <clears throat> Along with the police, well connected and well intentioned people arrived at the Lindbergh estate. Military colonels offered their aid, although only one had any law enforcement experience. His name was Herbert. Norman Schwarzakoff, if that name sounds <laughs> familiar, does. was that related? That would be his father. The wow, General really, General Norman yeah, Schwartzkopf? Yeah, that That's was his cool. father. Yeah, yep. oh wow, I didn't know that. He was a superintendent of the New Jersey State Police. The other colonels were Henry Skillman Breckenridge. Uh, he was a Wall Street lawyer as well, and William J. Donovan, who was a hero of the First World War, who later had the office of the Strategic Services, which was the forerunner to the. CIA. Nice. Lindbergh and these men speculated that the kidnapping was perpetrated by organized crime figures. At this time, Charles Lindbergh used his influence to control the direction of the investigation. He wanted to negotiate with the kidnappers with no police interference and he wanted no arrests until the ransom was paid and his baby was safe. That makes sense. I mean, right.
1: his number one priority is yeah. whatever we have to do to get my kid back.
2: And uh, they say that uh, kidnapping of family members, like young children, was a big thing in the early 30s like and 20s. It was common, it was common because okay. that was an easy way to get quick money.
1: Oh, sure. Was it a thing for the FBI to say we don't negotiate with kidnappers? Probably, probably back not then? back
2: then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Because
1: now they that are terrorists. They won't negotiate with terrorists. But.
2: Yeah, kidnapping, it sounds like it was something fairly common, even like in the Western time where. Somebody would take somebody's relative and say, unless you give me $10,000, and then they would release them, and they'd have the $10,000. So the ransom note is an interesting and huge clue. Um, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to specify every word because it really does pertain a lot to the rest of the investigation. It reads, dear sir, exclamation point, have 50.000 dollar sign. So $50,000, but 000, and then the dollar sign ready r e d mm. y 25.000 dollar sign in $20 bills 15000 dollar sign in $10 bills and 10000 dollar sign in $5 bills after 2/4 slash days we will inform you were w e r e instead of where we will inform you were to deliver the money money m o n y so money instead yeah. of money. We warn you for making any ding public. Any, any ding. ding. A-N-Y-D-I-N-G. Anything. Any ding. Anything public. Public. Or for notify the police the child is in good care. G-U-T. Indication, spelled right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. For oh, really? <laughs> for all letters are signature and three holes. Holes. H-O-L-S.
3: <clears> hmm. <throat> <clears throat>
2: again, $50,000, dollar sign, in 1932 dollars, well, that was the end of it, with the signature in three holes. Yeah. $50,000 in 1932 dollars is about a million dollars in 2021 money. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's the misspelled and obviously interesting ransom
0: note.
1: I'm sure you're going to get into analyzing this note, because I have thoughts. But then it's
0: like they spell (laughs) that one word, good, but they say that what they think that, like the zodiac and other people that leave like notes do that purposely to make it look like they're they can't spell when they can.
1: This seems more like someone who, whose first language is not English. Good.
0: Made me think of German. Ding, ding, ding. ding. <laughs> okay. Well, just
1: like the way it's worded, the grammar is wrong. It's yeah. not just the spelling, it, the grammar is indicative of another language.
2: Yeah. Krista is leading in the right direction. <laughs> so the signature that they talk about. Um, is
0: a reference to the holes that are on the ransom note. So, are they saying that There's if they're if holes? if no, yeah, if they're going to communicate with you, you're going to know what's theirs because it's going to have a signature and it's going to have holes punched in it, like Correct. three holes punched okay. in it. Okay, the signature there instead of saying like,
2: well, let me think, what was the uh, PTSD Victory? Is that what it was for the uh, John Jambon- Ramsey? Ramsey? Yeah, yeah. It, it was. Something along those lines. Yeah. That was like their signature. Yeah,
0: so this is mm-hmm. the way you would know it was from yep. these okay. people.
2: This one is two interconnected blue circles with the red circle in the middle of it. So you kind of think of putting two blue circles together. There will be a, a kind of hole in the middle that's filled with a red mark. And that was like their sign? Oh, okay. Yep, and then mm-hmm. there's a hole punched through the red circle. That seems pretty elaborate. And on each side of it. Yeah. So the Lindberghs then broadcast a message to the kidnappers on NBC radio, promising to keep confidential and all the arrangements are okay, meaning that they're ready to go. On March 6, 1932, so five days later, two new ransom letters arrived by mail, one to the Lindbergh home and one to Breckenridge. He was that Wall Street lawyer. Mm -hmm. The letters were postmarked March 4th from Brooklyn, and it did carry the signature or the red and blue marks. The ransom had now been raised to $70,000, and the note told the Lindberghs that John Condon, should be the intermediary between the Lindberghs and the kidnappers. Instructions specify the size of a box to make that should hold the money and warn that the family should not contact the police again. So now we get to John Condon. I was just going to say, how is this? How yep. Do, okay. John F. Condon was a well-known Bronx personality and retired teacher. Condon idolized Lindbergh, and when he heard of the kidnapping, he put an ad in the paper asking to be the intermediary. The kidnappers must have seen this ad. Lindbergh was asked to agree to this, and even without knowing Condon at all, he did agree. Condon also received a letter reportedly written by the kidnappers a little while later, authorizing Condon to be the intermediary with Lindbergh. So, following the kidnapper's latest instructions, Condon placed a classified ad in the New York American reading, quote, Money is ready, comma, Jaffsy. What? Apparently, Jaffsy? Jaffsy was like his nickname. Okay. I don't think it was something they agreed on beforehand. I think yeah. it's just that was what his yeah. was referred to. Well, Condon then waited for further instructions from the culprits. At 8.30 on March 12th, the doorbell rang at Condon's house. A man said that he was given a letter and asked to drop it off at this address. The man that gave the letter was described as being in a brown overcoat and a brown felt hat. That was totally one of the guys. Maybe. <laughs> A meeting between Condon and a representative of the kidnappers was scheduled for late one evening at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. According to Condon, the man sounded foreign, but stayed in the shadows during the conversation and also had a handkerchief over his nose and mouth, and Condon was thus unable to get a close look at his face. The man said his name was John, and he related this story. He was a Scandinavian sailor, part of a gang of three men and two women, The baby was being held on a boat unharmed, but but would be returned only for the ransom. The man told Condon that he was in fear that he might burn. Condon asked what he was talking about. And the mystery man said, would I burn if the baby is dead? Mm. Condon alarmingly asked what he meant by that again, at which point the mystery man changed his tune and said, the baby's not dead. (laughs) Tell the colonel not to worry. The baby is all right. Tell Colonel Lindbergh the baby is on a boat and when Condon expressed doubt that the baby was alright, John actually did say he had the baby, promised some proof, and the kidnappers would soon return the baby's sleeping suit. So on March 16th, 1932, Condon did receive the toddler's sleeping suit by mail and a seventh ransom note. That doesn't mean the baby's alive.
1: Right. Did he have an accent? Did they, they said, they Yeah,
2: he said that, that he had a foreign accent. Okay. He couldn't he said he couldn't put his finger on it, but I think it's implied that it was yeah. probably German. Right. After Lindbergh identified the sleeping suit as being from Charles Jr., Condon placed a new ad in the paper saying, "Quote: The money is ready, no cops, no secret service. I come alone like last time. After some more ransom note exchanges back and forths, So on April 1st, Condon received a letter saying it was time for the ransom to be delivered. All in all, 15 ransom letters were exchanged. Wow. So on April 2nd, Condon was given a note by the intermediary, an unknown cab driver. Condon met John again and told him that they had been able to raise only $50,000. The man accepted the money and gave Condon a note saying that the child was in the care of two innocent women on a boat called the Nelly. And he gave directions to an area near Martha's Martha's Vineyard, which I think is off Boston? I think so. It's like in that area. Yeah. At dawn, Lindbergh was up in his plane, scouring the area looking for the Nelly to no avail. He never found it, and no more communications with the kidnappers was ever made. The ransom was packaged in a wooden box that was custom-made in the hope it could be later, li- later identified. So when the IRS officials and authorities put together the ransom money, they used gold certificates, which is like paper money, but on the left side, instead of the green seal, there's a gold seal. Hmm. I think that's what they used to refer to as going off the gold standard. If you ever remember that, yep. I think it was something along the lines they used the backing of the paper money, to yeah. so how much gold they had. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, they were soon to get rid of the gold standard. They were going to be off it within a year or two, so they thought that this would be a good way to track the money. They also did take down the serial numbers, uh, like they do for most ransoms, yeah. mm-hmm. and they sent that out to, at first, local businesses, and then eventually they sent it out nationwide. On uh, May twelfth, 1932, two months later, delivery truck driver Orville Wilson and his assistant, William Allen, pulled off to the side of a road about 4.5 miles south of the Lindbergh property. When Allen went into the grove of trees to... Urinate? Exactly. <laughs> Everybody that has ever been found has been found by somebody, <laughs> somebody who urinating. goes to pee. So, yep, he pulled over and went to the grove of trees to urinate like people always do. He discovered the decomposing body of a toddler. Ugh. The skull was badly fractured and the body decomposed. Ugh. Having been chewed on by animals as well... It was a hasty burial, so they kind of threw him into a shallow grave. Poor baby. Betty Gow, the nanny of the Lindberghs, was asked to identify the baby as the missing Charles Jr. Because he had overlapping toes, apparently it's like a genetic thing where I guess his first toe and his big toe could overlap, and that the baby was wearing a shirt that she had made or knitted. (laughs) having to go in and look at that? Yep, and then it appeared after that the child may have been killed near the day of, if not on, the night of the kidnapping by a blow to the head or the fall off a ladder. So in June 1932, police began to suspect the crime had been perpetrated by someone in the Lindbergh's house or someone the Lindbergh's knew. It was learned that on the day of the kidnapping, that this was the first time the Lindbergh's were actually at home on a Tuesday The house was still being worked on that they were in, and they usually only stayed there on weekends, and they usually spent time at Anne's parents' during the weekdays.
0: So they were usually never there Tuesday nights. So it was weird that they were there. knew that they were going to be there. Hmm.
2: So that's why they thought it might be an inside job. The first person that was a suspect was Violet Sharp, a British servant from Anne Morrow's parents' house who had given contradictory information regarding her whereabouts on the night of the kidnapping. There was also some confusion over the name of her date, which was her alibi that night. It was reported that she appeared nervous and suspicious Suspicious when questioned. She committed suicide on June 10, 1932, by ingesting a silver polish that contained cyanide Oof. just before being questioned the fourth time. Her alibi was later confirmed. Oh, come on. And with pushing the woman so harshly and being depressed over the baby's death and the prying into her social life, didn't take long to see her reason for committing suicide. Oh, that sucks. Condon was also questioned by the police and his home searched, but nothing suggestive was found. Drinking silver polish? Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeesh. So throughout the ensuing two-and-a-half-year period, the number of ransom bills were spent throughout New York City. Detectives realized that many of the bills were being spent along the route of the Lexington Avenue subway, which connected the Bronx with the east side of Manhattan, especially to include the German-Austrian neighborhood of Yorkville. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) On November 27th, 1933, a cashier at Lois Theater remembered taking a gold certificate. On September 18th, 1934, a Manhattan bank teller noticed a gold certificate from the ransom. A New York license plate number, 4U-13-41-New York, was penciled in the bill's margin That allowed it to be traced to a nearby gas station. The gas station manager had written down the license number because the customer was acting, quote, suspicious and was possibly, quote, a counterfeiter. He was driving a blue Dodge and sounded German. The license plate belonged to a car owned by 35-year-old carpenter Richard Hauptmann, Mm -hmm. an immigrant with a criminal record in Germany. Holman was arrested the next morning driving in a blue Dodge.
1: A carpenter who may have known how to build a ladder, perhaps?
2: A German carpenter. <laughs> so Holman was arrested, interrogated, and beaten at least <laughs> once through the following day and night.
1: Probably had it coming.
2: When he was arrested, he was carrying a single $20 gold certificate. Hmm. When police searched his home, they found a considerable amount of additional evidence that may have linked him to the crime. They had found $14,000 of the ransom money in his garage. Oh, that's a good sign. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like the ransom money. <laughs>
2: $1,830 <laughs> hidden behind a board and another 11930 in a paint can by a window. So that's the $14,000 they found. Wow. Two different sections of it. A notebook contained a sketch of a construction of a ladder similar to which was found at the Lindbergh home in March 1932. John Condon's telephone number along with his address...
1: (laughs) Oh, my God.
3: ...were
2: discovered written on a closet wall in the house. And they think possibly he didn't do it? Correct. How? We'll get to that. Okay. Oh, I just got got (laughs) A key piece of evidence, a section of wood, was discovered in the attic of his home. After being examined by an expert, it was determined to be an exact match to the wood used in the construction of the ladder found at the scene of the crime. Hellman stated that the money and the other items had been left with him by a friend and former business partner, Isidore Fish. Fish had died on March 29, 1934, shortly after returning to Germany. Holtman stated he learned only after Fish's death and that the shoebox was left for him contained a considerable sum of money. He kept the money because he claimed that it was owed to him from a business debt that he and Fish had made. Holtman consistently denied any connection to the crime or knowledge that the money in his house was from the ransom. So one thing I added later was that Hauptmann wasn't a saint. Upon returning to Germany after World War I, he and a friend burglarized, burglarized three homes. It was also rumored that he had burgled the mayor of his hometown by using a ladder to gain access to the second story. He served a four-year sentence, and after his release, he stole some more stuff and was rearrested. He escaped from prison not too long later. But I feel
0: like there's a difference between burglarizing somebody and taking somebody's child.
1: I just love that you use the term burgled. Because <laughs> that's how Burg- they would have said it back
2: then. Burgled. Houtman <laughs> yep. uh, was indicted on September 24, 1934 for extorting the $50,000 ransom from Charles Lindbergh. And on two weeks later... October eighth, he was indicted for the murder. murder I was going to say burgled, <laughs> <Myrtle>. <laughs> for, the, for the murder of Charles <laughs> Augustus Lindbergh Jr. The trial was held at the Hunterdon County Courthouse in Flemington, New Jersey, and was soon dubbed the trial of the century. Hmm. The only possible trials that could vie for this distinction would be the Simpson trial yeah, and the mm-hmm. Scopes trial. Yep. Seven hundred reporters, thousands of spectators, and hundreds of communication specialists overflowed the area of the courthouse. Celebrities showed up. They mentioned some celebrities, but they didn't, like, They, I didn't know who they were for like, yeah. so 1932. <laughs> it's not like Al Jolson showed up Hell, or Bob something. Bob Hope, Al Jolson. Celebrities showed up along with the inescapable vendors and pitchmen trying to make money by selling things like copies of The Ladder, photos of Charles Lindbergh, and even obviously fake locks of the Lindberghs' baby's hair. Come God, on. that doesn't change much because that's, cause that's the kind
0: of stuff you had happen with the O.J. Simpson. Just sick. You yep. know, you still had that merchandising and all that kind of stuff.
1: Like gloves, did people sell yeah. a lot of gloves? Yeah, that's crazy. It is crazy, but people are morbid.
2: Uh, the prosecution, led by Davis Willens, their main theory was that when Holtman tried to go back down the ladder with the baby, the added weight caused the side rails on the second section of the ladder to crack which in turn left Holtman with either falling with the baby, causing its death, or dropping the baby while saving himself, again, causing the baby's death.
1: I'd like to think it happened that way and that he didn't intentionally murder the baby.
0: Yeah. I don't think the I baby mean, was intentionally murdered. That's just my that's just my, my guess. That's just the way thought. I feel is that it was an accidental because they, want, they wanted the money, you know, and... I don't think anybody's
2: intention is to kill a child, especially no. a two, two-year-old. But you know
0: you're going to have an easier time getting the money given to you when you can prove the baby's alive. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, they got the money. Yeah. Well, some of it. Or did they get all of it?
2: We'll get to that.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <it> Curtin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, just curtain everybody, left and right. <laughs> Evidence against Holtman included the $20,000 of the ransom money found in his garage and testimony alleging that his handwriting and spelling were similar to those of the ransom notes. Eight handwriting experts pointed out similarities between the ransom notes and Houtman's writing specimens. The defense called an expert to rebut this evidence, while two others had declined to testify, the latter two demanding $500 before <laughs> even looking at the evidence. Are you evidence. serious? Yep. That's shady. Mm-hmm. That's, well, that stuff probably still goes on. Oh, I'm she sure never it probably still about. goes on. Uh, the notes were dismissed by Lloyd Fisher, a member of Houtman's legal team. He also declined because of money. Other experts retained by the defense were never even called to testify. The state included photographs demonstrating that part of the wood from the ladder matched a plank from the attic's floor in Houtman's attic. The type of wood, the direction of tree growth and milling patterns, the inside and outside surfaces of the wood, and the grain on both sides were identical. And four oddly placed nail holes lined up with nail holes in the joists in Houtman's attic. And despite not having an obvious source of source of earned income, Hauptmann had bought a $400 radio, which is equivalent to $8,000 now, and him and his wife went on a trip to Germany. So the fact that he was pretty much unemployed, he still but found he had a way tons to have money. some money. Yeah. Hauptmann was also identified as the man to whom the ransom money was delivered. Lindbergh said that it was Hauptmann's voice he heard near the cemetery that day, Other witnesses testified that it was Houtman who had spent some of the Lindbergh gold certificates and that he had been seen in the area of the estate in East Amwell, New Jersey on the day of the kidnapping and that he had been absent from work on the day of the ransom payments and quit his job two days later. Houtman never sought out another job afterward yet continued to live comfortably. When the prosecution rested its case, the defense, led by Edward Riley, opened up with a lengthy, lengthy examination of Hauptmann. In his testimony, Hauptmann denied being guilty, insisting that the box of gold certificates had been left to him by his friend Isidore Fish, who had returned to Germany in December 1933 and died. Hauptmann said that he had one day found a shoebox left behind by Fish, which Hauptmann had stored on the top shelf of his kitchen's broom closet. Later discovering the money, which he later found to be almost $40,000 worth, Houtman said that because Fish owed him about $7,500 in business funds. Houtman kept the money and lived on it until January 1934 when he was arrested. The defense called Houtman's wife, Anna, to corroborate the Fish story. On cross-examination, she admitted that while she hung her apron every day on the hook higher than the top shelf, she could not remember seeing any shoebox there. Later rebuttal witnesses testified that Fish could not have been at the scene of the crime and... uh he had no money for medical treatment, of which he died of tuberculosis later. Fisher's landlady testified that he could barely afford the $3.50 weekly rent of his room, and alibi witnesses were less than compelling and even in some cases disastrous to the defense. In his closing summation, Riley argued that the evidence against Holtman was entirely circumstantial because no reliable witness had placed Holtman at the scene of the crime, nor were his fingerprints found on the ladder the ransom notes, or anywhere in the nursery. Deliberations began at 11.20 a.m. on February 13, 1935. And at 10.28 that night, the jury had reached a decision. So less than 12 hours later. Mm. It was, quote, We find the defendant, Bruno Richard Houtman guilty of the murder in the first degree. Hauptman was convicted and immediately sentenced to death. His attorneys appealed to the New Jersey Court of Appeals, which at the time was the state's highest court. The appeal was argued on June 29, 1935. The appeal was rejected by a 7-to-1 vote. The lone dissent was New Jersey Governor Harold Hoffman, who believed it couldn't have been pulled off by one man alone. Hoffman turned down a large offer from the Hearst newspaper for a confession and refused any last-minute offers to commute his sentence for the death penalty to life without parole in exchange for any confessions. Samuel Leibowitz, a defense attorney, visited Holtman three times trying to get him to confess. Holtman was electrocuted on April 3rd, 1936 at 8.44 p.m. Yikes. After his death, some reporters and independent investigators came up with numerous questions about the way in which the investigation had been run and the fairness of the trial, including witness tampering and planted evidence. Twice in the 1980s, Anna Holtman sued the state of New Jersey for unjust execution of her husband, the suits were dismissed on unknown grounds. In what years? Then two, twi- the Twice in the 1980s. In the 80s? Yep.
1: How old was she then?
2: Uh, dismissed. Uh, she continued fighting to clear his name until her death at the age of 95 in 1994. Wow. And the Lindbergh Law was passed by Congress the day after the kidnapping, which makes kidnapping a federal offense and a capital offense. Wow. Prior to the law being passed, kidnapping in the U.S. was a frequent and very profitable crime especially targeting wealthy families. After the passing of the Lindbergh Law, kidnappings went down drastically.
1: So kidnapping is a capital offense. Yes. Wow.
2: So we get to theories. Hmm. First one, obviously, Hauptmann did it. All the evidence we talked about, is it that open and shut? It,
0: I think there's there's a lot of evidence that he did, he did it or was involved somehow. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Let me see if I can change your mind. (laughs) (laughs) So, Like the stuff with the attic, with the wood. You know, okay, go on. (laughs) So the second theory
2: is, did someone else or a group of people do it? Was it Isidore Fish, a group of people, including Hauptman or not? During the trial, a defense suggested that the kidnapping murder was carried out by neighbors upset over Lindbergh's decision to cut off access to his land for hunting. They also suggested that the servants of either estate could have done it. Amandus Hockmuth, an 87-year-old witness, took the stand to say that he saw a man in a green car with a ladder in it pass his house on the night of the kidnapping slash murder, heading towards the Lindbergh Estate, and the man glared at him from the car as he passed. In a
1: green car? Green car. Okay.
2: Hmm. When asked if the man that glared at you was in the courtroom, he said yes and pointed to Houtman. And when he did, a power failure knocked out the lights in the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> the defense <laughs> argued that it was, quote, the Lord's wrath over a lying witness. John Condon, who spent most of the time with Cemetery John, which was the guy's nickname that was the kidnappers <laughs> representative Cemetery, of John. Cemetery John, noticed that he had a fleshy lump on his left thumb. Houtman does not. Famed profiler John Douglas, after researching the case, believes that Houtman is indeed guilty but had a yet-to-be-known accomplice. This led to a book in 2012 by Robert Zorn called Cemetery John, the Undiscovered Mastermind of the Lindbergh Kidnapping, to speculate that another German immigrant named John Knoll was the guy. Photographs of Knoll show a physical resemblance to police sketches, and he indeed had a prominent lump on his thumb. Hmm. The fact that the latter had a large gap between the rungs, that one person may not have been able to navigate that and then less than a third of the money from the ransom was ever found, let alone the money found in Houtman's garage, led the author to conclude that they worked together. Zorn was also alleged to use modern handwriting analysis that determined with 95% probability that Noel was the author of the ransom notes. So that's where the 1932 examination uh, said that Houtman was the guy that obviously wrote it. They went back with a different handwriting guy, William. and he said with 95% probability using computers, Mm. that Noel Hmm. was the author of the ransom notes. Noel also took a flight to Germany immediately after the jury's verdict in the case against Hauptman. Noel, who was a deli worker, was able to book round-trip vacations with his wife first class on luxury liners. Noel died in 1980, never being questioned by authorities. So now we have another deli worker or a Should say lower paying job Mm -hmm. that was able to take all these trips first class. Hmm. The money found in Houtman's garage was wrapped in newspapers from 1934 and not from 1932 when the ransom happened. Does this support Houtman's claim that he also only recently found the money? That makes sense, kind of does. Yeah, was there inside help, which is uh, another theory. That day of the kidnapping was the first time the Lindberghs were at home on a Tuesday. The house was still being worked on, and they usually only stayed there on weekends and spent time at Ann's parents during the weekdays. Did the servants conspire? The defense at trial suggested that the, Lindbergh, that the Lindberghs did not vet his servants and therefore has no idea of their backgrounds. Betty Gow, the maid was questioned, and the defense intimated that she ran with a group of notorious Detroit criminals called the Purple Gang which doesn't sound like a very, <laughs> very bad tough. ASS uh, name, <laughs> and demanded that she should say if she knew them. Gao actually fainted after getting off the witness stand. Did Violet Sharp, the servant who killed herself, knowingly or unknowingly give information to a friend or acquaintance about the Lindberghs, and they used that for the kidnapping?
0: Hmm. That's possible. Maybe she felt guilty
2: about that. The last theory. Any Any ideas? Um... Did Lindbergh do it himself? No. There is some circumstantial evidence against Lindbergh in the death of his son, which is actually kind of spooky. Just like the man himself, every biography of Lindbergh treats him like a god, and today he's still revered as a great American hero. But what did he really do to deserve it? A Lindbergh quote after his historic flight proves some unsettling insight. Quote, there were times in the airplane where it seemed I had escaped mortality to look down on the earth like a god, unquote. <laughs> wow. He was just an average bush pilot who beat a competition across the Atlantic for that $25,000 prize. Years later, a friend of his wife Anne's was quoted as saying, "If he hadn't made that flight, he'd be running a gas station in Minnesota." Oh wow. <laughs> Before marrying the middle daughter of Ambassador Dwight Morrow in 1929, he first courted, courted Anne's older sister Elizabeth but dumped her for Anne within several months. Oh, no. Also during this time, the youngest Morrow sister, Constance, received a letter threatening to abduct and kill her unless $50,000 was paid and placed in a specifically made box in a cemetery. An Sounds eerie funny. harbinger of the kidnapper's ransom demanded in 1932, and the perpetrator of this earlier threat was never identified. Hmm. After he was born, baby Charlie was immediately put on a special diet, The child had a larger head than normal, and he showed other symptoms indicative of rickets. Rumors that something was seriously wrong with the world's most famous baby would never subside. Lindbergh was a fan of eugenics. Eugenics is trying to improve the human species by mating people with specific, desirable, hereditary traits. It aims to reduce human suffering by breeding out disease, disabilities, and whatever characteristics a person desires. Although eugenics is mostly associated with the Nazis the Nazis and Adolf Hitler, in World War II, it was extremely popular in America in the first half of the 20th century as well. After a kidnapping threat against their second child, the Lindberghs moved to Europe in 1936, and the Germans and Lindbergh both had a mutual respect for each other over the eugenics thing. In 1938, Lindbergh was awarded the Service Cross of the German Eagle, by Hermann Göring on behalf of Adolf Hitler. Lindbergh <laughs> also had contacts in the Nazi Foreign Ministry. Within the last several years, DNA evidence has proven that Lindbergh fathered seven out of wedlock children born by three different mothers in Germany in the late 50s.
1: In addition to the six he had with. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Under the alias Carew Kent, he swore the families to secrecy before dying in 1974. And in 2003, most of the children came forward. Lindbergh's words, both in speeches and his letters and journals, suggest that he was both a white supremacist and an anti-Semite. Wow. Gosh. In <laughs> 1939, he wrote in Reader's Digest, quote, We can have peace and security only so long as we band together to preserve the most priceless possession, our inheritance of European blood, Oh, no. Only so long as we guard ourselves against attack by foreign armies with dilution by the foreign races.
0: (laughs) Wow.
1: I have never heard any of this before.
2: And here are some other weird coincidences about the case to wrap it up. Only Charles, Anne, and their three servants, and some servants at the Morrow Mansion in Inglewood, New Jersey, knew that the family would be staying at the Hopewell House on a Tuesday night, and only after Lindbergh decided that they would remain there past Sunday for the first time ever. Mm. Lindbergh was supposed to give a speech at NYU, New York University, that night, but canceled it without notifying them. Lindbergh phoned from NYU to home to state that no one, quote, should ever enter the nursery between 8 and 10 because he doesn't want his baby coddled. Hmm.
1: That's very suspicious.
2: Why did the kidnappers enter the house knowing that at least five adults were awake instead of waiting till after they were asleep? How did they know which window the baby's room was? He had a son cremated cremated immediately. Mm -hmm. So like his wife never even had a chance to see the baby before he was cremated. Mm. He told Anne he heard sound of wood snapping from outside, yet Anne and the three servants said later they heard nothing that night, and the normally alert family watchdog called (laughs) Wagouche did not bark. Hmm. When Betty Gao found the empty crib at 10 p.m., both she and Anne assumed Lindbergh had taken the child as a practical joke as he had done several weeks before by hiding him in a closet and making everybody in the house go look for him.
1: What the heck? (laughs) Wow. This guy was twisted.
2: When Lindbergh saw the empty crib, he announced, Anne, they have stolen our baby, even before searching the house for the toddler. Lindbergh had planted the seed that his son had been kidnapped. Anne and the servants searched the house, starting in the nursery, and none of them saw the ransom note on the windowsill, yet Lindbergh discovered, after returning to the nursery alone,
1: Like it was in his pocket the whole time, maybe? Possibly.
2: hmm. Some handwriting experts will later agree that this first note was different than the other 13 ransom notes suggesting it was written under duress and in an attempt to made to disguise the writing. Lindbergh put himself in charge of the investigation, insisting that the New Jersey State Police turn over all their information to him. At one point, he threatened to shoot any officer who violated this order. (laughs) Oh, jeez. When Hoover sent two FBI agents to assist with the investigation, Lindbergh turned them away, refusing help from the one agency whose experience and training gave them the best chance to return his son. Lindbergh shunned the FBI, yet invited numerous cranks, tipsters, mediums, and gangsters to help while blocking every logical police procedure which might have yielded useful information. Lindbergh replaced solid investigative procedure with his amateur methods, obscuring the trail, creating false leads, and taking action designed to create deceptive clues. And finally, Lindbergh rejected an NYPD plan to stake out the ransom drop at the cemetery.
0: That one I can kind of understand because, you know, like they say, no police involved. And if you do involve any police, we'll kill. Mm -hmm. So that one I can understand him not wanting the police there. So there's one aside, but I'll save that for after we talk. Okay.
1: Is this all, so is this all suggesti- suggesting that the motivation behind him orchestrating the whole thing is that he felt this child was inferior and wanted to be rid of him?
2: Yes, there are podcasts, there are websites, there are blogs about people saying that he tried to trade, hmm. quote unquote, trade his son for what would have been considered a less sickly, more, I guess, eugenics friendly son. And wow. that this was what the plan was—that he was to be taken, he would be traded off for a baby resembling him as close as possible, that was of like a quote-unquote better stock. Mm-hmm. And then that's what the thought process was. But when the baby fell or was accidentally killed, the whole plan kind of went awry. So the like the the eugenics thing is is something that that, that they really kind of harp on in a lot of these. Uh, alternate theories, but people forget just kind of how popular it actually was in the Mm -hmm. early part of the century, and it it makes it seem like it's like the worst thing in the world because it involves the Nazis Mm -hmm. and and Hitler, but it really was fairly popular, and I think they're just trying to tie all these—I mean, my opinion is that Hauptmann did it, and you can't—as
0: to what happened to like the other third of the money, I have absolutely no idea— the thing is, though, like, if, if Lindbergh did it himself or whatever, who was the guy in the cemetery? I mean, who was? And
2: that's the thing. There's different opinions on whether it was Hauptman, if it was the other person that was with Houtman, if it was that Noel, you know, John Noel, and Hauptman worked together, and when Noel left, he took the other third of the money. Was there three people, and they all split the third? Mm. You know, And I couldn't find anything to see if any of the gold notes had ever reappeared since then. It seems like, kind of like the DB Cooper money, it just never reappears. There's some S- sketchy stuff with Lindbergh,
0: though. Yeah, really sketchy. Yeah, and that's that's Weird the biggest thing. Is that, yeah. People like the, but I I, I could the underst- don't
1: go in the baby's room between this time and this time, yeah. which is when he was taken. That's really suspicious. But I could understand
0: one of the servants giving, like, being at the bar and saying, "Oh, they're gonna be here this Tuesday." Right. And then maybe she realized she'd probably told, She probably told the kidnapper that they'd mm-hmm. be there, and she felt guilty, so she drank the silver polish. Wow. You know my my personal feeling is that Hauptmann and somebody else were working together, or three people were working together. I don't or think maybe
1: it, he hired them to do it for him. I mean yeah. that's possible. But why but, wouldn't they give him up when the police were on them? Then you
0: know. Oh I, yeah, I mean I'm sure they would have.
2: One thing too is that like they really tried to pressure him to confess. They were willing to commute a sentence to life. And they he, were going to even... This? S- Huntman? H- Huntman. Yeah, they okay. gave him a lot of chances. Yeah. And yeah, They would. he would have, like... He
1: could have ratted him out.
2: Yeah, yeah, he could have done a lot. And he could have... I think there was either a suggestion that they were willing to give his wife some money to continue on because he yeah. obviously wasn't be able to provide for the family. Sure. That uh, even hmm. he wouldn't do that. So, yeah, it's, it's just enough information and enough evidence to make you think that
0: Lindbergh could do it you know but then that's kind of reminds me of John Benet Ramsey where some people think the parents did it or oh. the brother did it and they just try to cover it up by staging it as a a kidnapping. A kidnapping. Yeah. That's one of the things with things
2: nowadays is once you're out there as yeah. the person that did it it's hard to reel that back in mm-hmm. once you're named as a suspect or under suspicion it's it's so hard to lose that tag and then yeah. with all the blogs and and reddit <laughs> these posts all oh, these, yeah, these days it's, podcasts yeah it's just crazy um, so I'm just going to say I got a lot of this from obviously the Wikipedia entry on the Lindbergh kidnapping. There's a great write-up on FamousTrials.com. There was some information on the FBI.gov. And a lot of the anti pro-Lindbergh evidence is on CrimeTraveler.org. And then again, I listened to several podcasts and I watched a NOVA documentary on YouTube called Who Killed Lindbergh's Baby? So the interesting aside, do you have any idea what that would be about the Lindbergh baby?
0: Um, uh-uh.
2: It is a very popular Mandela effect. Really? Yes. I did How? not know that. Really? I did not know that either. <laughs> no. Yep, it is a very popular Mandela effect. The Mandela effect is that the, the authorities never found the baby and that no one ever knew what happened to him.
1: I. You know what? Now that you say that, I was actually, Yeah. That's what if you had asked me before all this, did they ever find the baby? I would have said no. That's funny. Yeah. I would think
2: I remember them finding the baby. The alternate version is that the baby was found, and although it may have been, there's stories of it being male and female. Um, that the baby lived and was returned, but it always been questioned about being the real baby. Oh. So those are the two popular. I feel like. I've heard that Mandela effect. Yeah. That's weird. That's interesting. Hmm. I, I didn't, all of a sudden it just started popping up on reddit when i was typing in Lindbergh baby stuff and it's just threads and threads about people thinking that we are you talking about the baby was the baby was found alive no it wasn't
1: weird yeah so, that's really weird
2: hmm. that is it for me wow
1: cool. well that was great yeah i learned a lot it's yeah. interesting there's some things that tie into what i'm going to be talking about too um just themes but wow that was great
0: I was just, I don't remember what I was reading or where I was looking, but it was talking about presentism, which is like something that we run into that Corey actually talked about where you, like something that happened in the past, you can only conceptualize it in today's society, like our norms and stuff. Like Corey was talking about the eugenics yeah you okay, know like I presentism is something I don't remember where I was just reading this, but it was like an article about presentism, how hard it is for us to put ourselves in the mm-hmm. place it seems of the mindset so... of the past, like the eugenics and yeah, that I mean, was you know of... I talked about I think William Shockley in one of the one of our podcasts uh, and he was like a Nobel Prize winner, but he was also like big with eugenics that back then it wasn't seen as such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But now looking back at Lindbergh being into that, It seems like a horrible thing. It seems sinister. Yeah.
1: I think it's the context, though. I mean, you're either looking at it from the point of view of trying to um, get rid of disease. Yeah, weed out out differences. Not perpetuate a specific race. Yeah. The Nazis were using it for one specific thing.
2: When you kill off an entire race. Right. Millions Millions of people. Versus like gene splicing, where you're trying to add some of the best... Yeah. Qualities or takeaways or take, yeah, away, or take is, away disease, like making different. more resistant to diseases yeah, and stuff. It's a night and day difference between killing entire populations <laughs> yeah. of people versus right genetically Modifying, altering yep. things or food. Yeah. like trying yeah. to
1: make corn more nutritious and, and it's impossible
2: meals. for people to think that weren't born or around yeah. in the '30s, like just how popular he was. Like there were ticker tape parades for him. Wow. There was a song made for him, wow. and that. You know, all
0: these things I'm, uh, I'm trying sorry. to push yourself back into the thirties. And I'm sure at the time there was nobody that suspected him of doing it. Oh no, like fact, I said, that's just he, like a he, recent thing, like people at the time mm. would never have suspected because yeah. he was an idol. And they didn't know until after he died that he'd fathered, you know, all these <laughs> other children in Yeah, Germany. but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily make him No. It just
2: it points him in a bad light and that yeah, he's not it does. As, he's yeah. not a like quote unquote god like they like he or they yeah. thought he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Huh. Interesting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> wow. Eye opening for sure. All right, should I jump into mine? <laughs> jump right into <laughs> yours. Note? Uh, so I'm going to be revisiting Elisa Lam. Elisa Lam. So a couple of notes on this. Um, uh, my updates are based on the Netflix series. It's called Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. I know someone posted about this on the Facebook page like a while ago, and, but I don't recall like what the feedback was. I think it was mostly just people were excited to watch it. Um, but it got pretty bad reviews and it wasn't that the information or that it wasn't factual and we'll get to that stuff but it was just they focused too much on conspiracy theories and sensationalizing the whole thing they didn't focus on her family and what they went through they i mean they focused on her a little bit but it was still more about you know the youtube
0: the video of her being weird and, in the elevator yeah and-
1: so a lot of people were kind of upset about that, but I also think on the same, um, what am I trying to say? Kind of just on that same path, the documentary is also what people really wanted to see. The people who are really into the conspiracy theories yeah. or thought the video was re- of her in the elevator was really bizarre and mysterious. They wanted something to break all that down. So I think, it, you know, depending on what you were looking for with this documentary, you probably either loved it or hated it. I'm somewhere in the middle, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was bad. I don't regret watching it. I feel like I actually learned a lot from it that we didn't know before. What, what, it, what did yeah, you do? Yeah, I mean,
2: I watched it. I actually watched it twice. I watched it when it first came out, and then I watched it maybe a week ago. And you know, for me, the way it plays out is the first episode is leading up to the or her missing, and the police view kind of of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the second episode, I believe, is more of the here's what we have of the video, and here's what we make of the video. Mm -hmm. And then the third is kind of all the conspiracy theories. Yeah. And I think the fourth kind of wraps it all up, saying that
1: okay, here's what really happened.
2: Here's why we shouldn't take into account all these conspiracy theories? Right. Here's how it really happened, and yeah. then they kind of wrap it up. And I, I was I was the same way. I, I I watched it. I was like, okay, it it's fine. It's uh similar to like the Making a Murderer, where it's it's they add a lot, and yeah. there's a lot of like stuff that they could have avoided putting sure, in. Yeah. But I think they wanted to make it like a a, a, well a mini series or, like a, or like, a, like a several episode thing. Yeah. Yeah. And. After I went and watched it, I went on a Reddit specifically. it's like my vice, I
0: guess. <laughs> was it comparable to that Maura Murray documentary that came out? Yeah,
2: it's yeah. comparable. Like okay. they, in the Maura
0: Murray one, they had the guys going into they the they went woods. into all the different. They went through the different scenarios. Yeah, that she yes. was, they that went she into went the off woods on and, and they were followed. in this yeah. one, they okay. went into
2: the YouTube thing. They okay. went into the metal singer. Yeah, that they I'm going to talk about that. Okay.
1: Yeah, I don't know if
0: you're even. No, aware I don't even know. I've heard something about a metal singer being yeah. involved.
2: Yeah, but I mean, I did feel that when I went on Reddit, it was it was predominantly negative saying that they shouldn't have had the YouTube personalities on there. Like, mm-hmm. why are they on there?
1: But I think it's an important part of the story. And could, so it, I'm glad they went into yeah, that.
2: Because it shows you just how much people, A, get involved into older missing stories or mm-hmm. older unsolved mysteries or, or kidnappings and or stories. And the negative outcome of that. Yeah, and what it can actually lead to yeah, if you exactly. start naming people that are not part of it.
1: Exactly. So I'm going to do a quick recap of the, the story, but I'm not going to go into all the details. Listen to, I think it was like episode four or five of our very first season. We, we go through everything, all the details. I don't want to rehash all that, but so if you, if you, if you don't know the story though, I wanted to give you a quick recap. So in February of 2013, Elisa Lamb, she's a 21 year old student, took a trip to California to kind of like find some motivation. She was kind of stuck and wanted to experience something new. She was from Canada, and she made the trip alone. She stayed at the Stay on Main, which was the hotel's attempt at sort of rebranding itself and separating from the shady history of the Cecil Hotel, which is basically on Skid Row and yeah. not a nice place. No, it's
0: had, it has a history.
1: A bad history. Lots of serial killers stayed there. People were murdered there, like left and right suicides. I mean, it is not a good place. So she had no idea what she was getting into when she went there. Um, Anyway, the day she was supposed to leave and return home, her parents didn't hear from her and reported her missing. So a search ensues. Unfortunately, the investigators never checked the water tanks because it wasn't until weeks later that her body was found in one of the water tanks on the roof by a hotel employee. His name was Santiago Lopez. After residents and guests complained of dark, foul-tasting water, which is just horrifying. (laughs) Nasty. But the real draw of the case was the elevator video. If you haven't seen it, just Google Elisa Lam. You'll probably find thousands of links referring to the video.
0: We talked about that quite a bit in our episode we kind of really, way back really. Yeah, back we when. really
1: kind of broke the video down. But it's basically Elisa acting very strangely, making odd arm and hand gestures and just generally acting odd. The doors to the elevators don't close no matter how many buttons she pus- pushes. <laughs> and nobody else is seen in the video. Eventually, she leaves the elevator and walks off camera to the left. So, at the end of our episode, 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 my God. (laughs) You can tell I don't do this often. At the end of our episode, we're teetering between, I was just a tragic accident and somebody had to be involved because things just don't add up. So, where do you still stand on this? Not really knowing anything about the Netflix series. Not
0: knowing anything about the Netflix series, I think it was an accident. Okay. I agree. It was completely an accident.
1: Yep. So here are the kind of key players in the documentary. I'm not going to go through everybody. But the hotel manager, I'm not even going to say her name because I didn't like her. I basically hated her through the See, whole that's, thing.
2: that's also one of the things on Reddit. Like, people discounted her because they simply didn't like her. Like, they I, seemed like she was I didn't conceded. discount her.
1: <laughs> I just don't like her. Yeah, and that was a big thing. I think she gave really good information, actually. Yeah. I just thought she was really sort of like... She didn't seem to care or have any sympathy for the situation. She cared about the hotel and nothing else. But, but she did provide good information. It sucks
0: how you're perceived on their... If you compass, saw it, such though, feedback.
1: you wouldn't like her either. <laughs> she was just very smug. She was. And sort of like, huh, well, the whole, the hotel's great. She was on her own. It wasn't our fault. It was It was very much that way. She just had no empathy or sympathy for the situation. Even when she said she did, she clearly didn't um dr judy ho she's a clinical forensic neuropsychologist who was just like a consulting person for the documentary i don't think she was involved in the case tim Marcia, marcia they don't really say their names they just give you the name on on the screen
2: police he was a police officer yeah
1: he was a lapd homicide detective who i believe is retired now but he worked on the case he Hmm. was the detective on the case and then there was a greg kading who was also lapd homicide but i don't I didn't get the impression he worked on the case, I think, because he would refer to them and what they found, and it wasn't we.
2: I, I think if I remember correctly, which I could be wrong, I think that after the case was over, he was one of the ones that like re- would revisit it if okay. people brought up information.
1: Gotcha. And then Dr. Jason Tavor was the forensic pathologist or the coroner, medical examiner, what do you want to, whatever, I think they go by several names. So um, I'm just going to go through a bunch of bullet points of things that we talked about and what I've learned since and and i know people are probably going to be like it's a documentary you have to take everything with a grain of salt but in my opinion the homicide detective who worked on the case the you know medical examiner who examined her body i'm going to believe them more than anything else i find on the internet
2: i think that's if one thing that, that i remember reading was that if you eliminate the video itself and just go with the facts it's, and a it's open completely and shut. Yeah, right correct. yeah <laughs>
1: Okay, so we were oddly focused on the fact that she was wearing men's shorts. <laughs> we really go on and on. Yeah, about we this. do. And as I'm thinking about it, that's not that weird. Like, no, it's not. Men's clothes are generally big on you, and my favorite like lounge clothes to hang out in are gym's clothes. Like, this is not weird at all. I yeah. don't think it meant she was having sex with anyone. Like, these are the theories we were throwing out, and I just think we focused on it too much. And I now I don't really know why. Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, so we wondered what the odd behavior was that caused the hotel to move her from the shared room to her own room. We didn't have that information then. So what was happening is she was leaving handwritten notes on her roommate's beds that said, get out, go home and go away. And she would also lock them out of the room and make them use a password to get in. Wow. So weird, right? Yeah. So, and I... The timeline of when this stuff was happening was kind of strange. I think they moved her. It was her last night that they moved her out of the shared room to her own room. But she went into the lobby, I think that night, and kind of did like this thing yeah. and said, I'm crazy. Okay, so she But had, so was LA. So, yes, yeah, So, she was she had acting issues. very weird. She also went to a live audience production. I don't recall them saying what it was. I don't either. But... She was acting really erratically during it, and she wrote this long, rambling letter and demanded that they give it to the host. And so security was worried about her, and they actually escorted her off the property because they thought she was some kind of a security risk.
2: Yeah, I just looked at it like she was in the live audience of, like, say, like wheel of fortune right or the price is right yeah. or like a talk show right that's what i got that's
1: what i got from it too but they didn't say what the show was and i thought see i only revisited the last episode last night because that's where they gave all of this good information but was there something about a bookstore too
2: yeah there was a, a pretty popular bookstore they actually went to it and then they interviewed i believe one of the owners or the owner and just asked like if they remember what she was doing and then they went and looked at I don't know. Surveillance think they were surveillance video? videos and then like possibly the books that she had she had checked out.
1: But there wasn't anything weird about the bookstore, it's just that she was there. No,
2: I want to say that somebody had a conversation with her, but it was super brief okay. and they didn't really strike it as anything more than usual. She I mean seemed if you look upbeat. at a bookstore, you're probably more likely not to have a couple weird people come through. <laughs> not to disparage people that like to read books or anything, but I mean it's a popular place. Yeah, it is. So.
1: Yeah. I agree. Okay. So In the middle of the episode, we're talking about, or somewhere in the episode, the toxicology report and how the levels of meds in her system were the right dosage. But the forensic pathologist, Dr. Tavor, and I think even Dr. Hope, both said that her levels were actually too low. They were really low. And that when they looked at the police report that detailed what was left in her hotel room, the amounts of pills that were in the bottles were not what they should have been based on the fill date, they think that she stopped taking her medication. Mm. And her sister and her family confirmed that that's a pattern. She, Mm. In the past, she stopped taking her medication and that that would result in erratic behavior, hallucinations, delusions, paranoia, and fear that somebody was after her and that she had to be hospitalized at least once. So Dr. Ho said, based on all this information, it appeared that she had bipolar 1, which is the more severe bipolar and that patients can sometimes have what she called psychotic features, and Elisa was on an antipsychotic medication, so if she wasn't taking that, I mean, yeah. obviously there could be some pretty dire consequences. I mean,
2: like obviously I, I, I'm not bipolar, um, but I'm diabetic, so when I am a little bit higher than normal, I, I feel no different whatsoever. Um, when I'm low, it's a complete different feeling. Really? It's, yeah, it's. Like I've only mental, been, your mental state, yeah. You're changes. confused, you're kind of talking a little bit differently. Um, I've only been low once or twice, and I, I hate it. Um, I know some people that are diabetic as well. And I've been on some websites, and when I was, you know, told, I think I've only been diabetic for like five years or whatever. But when I was going through my initial like counseling sessions, they kind of help you to fill in on how your life's going to change a little bit with diet and, and medicine. That uh, I've heard some stories of people being low, but not super low, that just have hallucinations, that talk to themselves. Um, we actually had an incident at our job uh, where a guy went low, and he was in a bathroom stall, and he was just kind of doing some weird weird stuff. Yeah, hmm. I have and, I have friends that
0: have diabetes, pretty bad, and yeah. and when one of them I know in particular is goes low, it's very it can be very bad and very uncharacteristic of her yeah and then Mm. if
2: somebody were to know you were diabetic and gave you your medicine your dosage would go back up yeah yeah Yeah. and Mm. i'm not trying to compare obviously no but but there is some similarities yeah
1: yeah just how your mental state can change if you're not monitoring your your meds right so the elevator video Yes, it's really odd, but all of it is actually pretty explainable. She's not possessed. No, she's not possessed. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly the part about the door is never closing. We talk about that a lot. And it wasn't um, in the episode I watched last night, but Jim and I, he watched the whole thing with me, and he remembers this, so I'm hoping you can confirm. Didn't they analyze the video close enough to know that she pushed the door open button? Yeah. Okay. They, they,
2: she, was, she kept pushing the door open button as one of her... Was it that the people were talking about it being the elevator game or whatever yeah. it was? Yeah, I
1: don't know that she was playing that though. I don't think, I think so they just, it's the Korean or yeah. No, something. Yeah. Elevator game where you yeah. hit certain buttons and you're yeah. supposed to not get off on this floor. And if a woman gets on, you're not supposed to talk, Look, to, yeah,
2: her. talk to her. Yeah, talk to her. Yeah. I believe in the documentary they zoomed in on her pressing that el- the door open button quite a bit. I need well, to watch I, this documentary.
1: It yeah, it good. is really good. I mean, I thought it was really revealing. It answered a lot of my questions. But I think they even talked about how they tested it and that when you hit that button, it's programmed to stay open for a specific amount of yeah, time. Yeah, it's a lot
2: longer than you would think. Yeah, it's I a lot say, longer. And it just completely be a guess, but I want to say they thought it was like 40 seconds it Yeah, stays it's a long time. And if she hit it a it twice, couple uh, times,
1: it lined up. It was consistent with yeah. what we saw in the video because the doors yep. do eventually close after she walks away. But so that was we were very like, oh, something creepy is yeah. going on here. And it's just that we were, she hit we the door young. open. By- <laughs> we were young back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, But here's the thing. This is all that was available to us at yeah. the time. But it did what seem creepy and off. Right. So and uh, so what Dr. Ho said watching that video, she said, this is clearly someone who's hallucinating, someone who's paranoid and is Hei- she's hiding. I mean, she doesn't look fearful. That's the weird thing I thought. No, and hiding could I be didn't what think she, she was she doing fearful? in the water, trying to do in that tank. Well, we'll get to that. Wow.
0: Was getting so
1: much curting happening today. <laughs> um, I mean, they, she said she could have been hearing voices. And when someone with this type of illness stops taking their meds, the chance of an episode increases dramatically. So she had stopped taking her meds a few days prior to that. The erratic behavior leading up to this and the kind of culmination of it in the elevator really makes a lot of sense. Um, The detective Marcia or Marcia addresses the notion that the video was tampered with or edited in some way. And he stated pretty simply that they have the original hard copy in their possession. There's nothing wrong with it. The hotel did not edit the video, and what we're seeing that looks edited was done by media outlets. It's Wait, the only that, that's, explanation. That's understandable. I mean, right. that's, that happens.
0: But the hotel didn't do yeah. it, and
1: neither did the police. What would their yep. motivation be? Um, so back to someone, what Dr. Hose was saying about someone who's in the middle of a psychotic episode, if she felt she was in danger, like if she's hallucinating and thinks someone's messing with her when she's she's in yeah. the elevator, that could spark sort of... This fear that someone's you know out to get her, and she said she could have literally been at that point like running for her life, looking for a place to hide. And the, the medical examiner or the uh, forensic pathologist said it, it would make sense to someone in that state to do something like hide in a water tank. Who would yeah. find you there?. Yeah. So she became here's what he kind of thinks happened to her. She climbed up into the water tank. She became trapped once she was inside, and her only option at that point was to tread water, water because the water level yeah, was too low. You
0: couldn't get back out,
1: right? He felt that she either a undressed to make treading water easier because clothes are going to impede yeah, your ability when when to stay afloat. But he also said that if the water temperature dropped enough, she could have become hypothermic, yeah. and we all know what people the do when paradoxical they're paradoxical and yes, yeah. they take their clothes yeah. off. But she did ultimately drown. Um, something people fixated on was the fact that her body was found face up. Usually drowning victims are found face down with their arms and feet kind of dangling below them. But he said it's really consistent to think that if the water level was constantly changing, it was enough movement in the tank to slowly flip her body over. So there's really nothing suspicious about that either. Um... There's no evidence of foul play or anything suspicious at the scene. And there was no evidence that she intended to kill herself either. I mean, even though she was depressed and bipolar and possibly manic, there's still, you know, it's not like she took a bunch of pills or anything like that. It really did seem like it was accidental. Um, about the lid. <laughs> this is like a big, a yep. big point. So they interviewed Santiago Lopez. And we, we talked a lot about the lid in the episode too. The employee who... Oh, there's a fruit fly bow I was
0: wondering what you were doing.
1: I'm hallucinating. <laughs> the employee who discovered her body was Santiago Lopez. I think he was like a maintenance guy. Um, he states in the interview, he's on the documentary, and then they, of course, zoom into something that looks like this that's highlighted yeah. with his statement that clearly says, when he climbed the tank, he found the lid open.
3: Okay. He that answers a lot yeah. then.
1: Unfortunately, what happened is an officer giving a press conference... And they, sh- they flashed to it. He misspoke. And he even says something to the effect of, I believe I've been informed that the lid was closed. Yeah. And that's all it took.
0: Yeah. And then it's officially The media cl- ran closed. with it. Yeah.
1: Yes. And so this information that it was actually open when they found it never came out. Yep. And that one detail led everyone to believe that someone else had to be involved because one person misspoke about that one detail. And it's funny because one of the web, web sleuths, was like at the end, he's like, "I yeah, that was the clincher. That was yeah. the thing that convinced me finally." Yeah. Okay, so the web sleuths, the people who quote unquote became captivated by the case. We, you know, we mentioned at this time, like four years ago, how people were really drawn in by it, especially the video. But what I didn't realize until I watched this series is the obsession that that people had over this. Like, people spent hundreds of hours investigating this case on their own from their you know living rooms. I was just kind of shocked at that, that people basically spent all of their free time
2: kind looking like into Moore this case. Murray. I mean, it's a lot like More Murray. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, there were people that drove specifically to the Cecil Hotel just to do a walkthrough, just to, to say that they were, they were here. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and, of course, everybody knows this. It's it's very common for key information to be withheld from the public during an investigation. Yeah. Because, obviously, if there was foul play involved, you wouldn't that's want what, that information out there. That's what a lot of there.
0: people are. I was just... I was just... You know i read about delphi or delphi case where those two girls were killed those two young girls mm, yeah. that they have the the, this, audio. the the picture and the audio mm-hmm. and people are mad that there's not releasing more of the audio or more of because i apparently where the girls were found it was like in some kind of scene that was like i don't want to say ritualistic but they mm. were placed their corpses were placed a specific way and people want to know but then you also don't want the people to know because you want to know because only the one that's going to know that is the killer. right?
2: somebody admits to being the killer, they'll be like, well, how were they posed? Yeah, if he says they they were posed face down when the police know that they were posed, but you also want to know, you know, so it's like... Everybody wants to know every individual detail about the crime can't, but you because can't. Yeah. yep
1: exactly and i think that's that's what happens in these situations is that people thousands of people are trying to solve a case based on probably only a third of the true information yeah, yeah. and that can lead down some pretty unfortunate paths and youtubers
0: paths. can easily uh, what's the word? Influence I'm looking? people, not, not, but what's a sensationalize oh, it yeah, in order yeah, yeah. to get hits? You know, right?
1: And and people will believe them. Yeah, you know, yeah. if I this guy's got a hundred thousand views, well, he must be saying things that are true. <laughs> yeah, can't put anything on the internet that's not true. You know, well, like
2: even with my my Lindbergh story, some of that stuff about Lindbergh, I was like. Uh, I'm only getting this from one source. Like, I need to find it from other sources. And that's when I started finding it from several sources. It's like, all right, I I can't just go ahead with one guy in a podcast. Yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. So what's what's unfortunate about this is that, and it reminded me of the, the nanny or the housekeeper that killed themselves. So there's another victim in the case. And this man is named Pablo Vergara. He's a black metal musician who went by the stage name of Morbid. You can imagine dark lyrics, like really morbid like videos, references to murder and death and the devil. But this is like a a persona he puts on, right? So a video was found of him online, staying at the Cecil Hotel. And I don't recall what kind of reference he made to killing someone, but it was sort of like something, I don't know if it was part of a music video or something about he might have quote unquote killed someone, but it was... It was very offhanded and very nonspecific and probably just part of his image that yeah. he's creating for himself. Well, people saw that and immediately decided he murdered he Elisa yeah. Lam. So six days after her body was discovered, he a friend texted him and was like, "Um, you need to look at this. And he was on some Asian news show being called the murderer yeah. of Elisa Lam. And he's never even heard of this woman before. So people all over the world start messaging him, accusing him of murdering her, uh, death threats every day. And the clincher is he stayed at the Cecil Hotel in February of 2012. She wasn't there until 2013. So he wasn't even in the country when this happened. He was actually in Mexico. He has passport stamps proving he's from Mexico. That's where he lives. He has passport stamps proving he was there. He was a true musician. He was had a record deal with a comp, uh, a record company that was recording with him. That's what he was doing during that time, and he has contracts to prove that he was there. The uh, FBI of Mexico called the PGR questioned him, and no charges were ever filed. And at the end, the detective on the case was like, yeah, I get it. People want to help, but this guy wasn't involved. And they basically...
0: No one those when you're shown like that yeah you know this is this is is a way more lighthearted example of that but I go back to uh and Corey's the one that got me to watch this and I still think it's one of the most brilliant things I watched and that's uh American Vandal Mm. like the first season of American Vandal watch it if you have not seen it watch it and ignore what I'm going to say because there's spoilers but (laughs) you know it's about it's like a spoof of making a murderer where there's this high school boy that's believed that he spray painted penises on all the teachers' cars. And they make, and a guy like films this documentary to tr- that thinks he didn't do it to try to get him, mm. you know, so it's a lot Clear like. Clear his name. Yeah. yeah. And at the end, you know, uh, at the end, you find out he didn't do it. But then he ends up doing something just like that. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. they ask him why he did it. Then they show. When he is sitting towards the end of the series, sitting with all his friends from school, watching the documentary they made about him and watching all of these people say, no, the guy's an idiot. Of course he did it. You know, like they're right. interviewing his classmates. Mm-hmm. And at the end he says, well, that's what people believe I am. Why shouldn't I be Fulfill that? their, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it shows that like when you're, when you, when you get out there as being the guy, you can't shake that. Yeah, exactly.
1: No. So this poor guy was actually driven to try to kill himself because of the harassment that he was suffering. And he ended up in a hospital. And he hasn't... This is like seven years ago now or how somebody else do the math. I don't know when this documentary (laughs) came out, but he hasn't recorded any music since. Like his whole life has completely changed. And even when they... From from
0: one... From something insignificant.
1: Something... Yeah, totally. People just read into it, and they wanted someone to blame. Yeah, exactly. And so they blamed him. Exactly. And I think that was that was the frustrating part about the documentary for me, but I think it was an, an important piece is the, all of these people on the internet trying to solve the case. There was there was one guy, and he was a prominent one that they kept showing throughout. He, they were interviewing him, but they would show clips of their videos that they had been posting all this time about the case, and he says something about how he's so upset about the, the autopsy and I'm sorry guys, I've been investigating this for hundreds of hours and I just have to disagree with uh, with the coroner and I'm thinking, okay, guy in your basement on the <laughs> internet with no medical degree. Yeah. <laughs> I That's mean, people just become
0: and only second handed evidence and second hand theories. Right. And, uh,
1: all all they could find was what was on the internet yeah. at the I time. Think,
2: you know, we were talking about that earlier too, like even like the Mora Murray subreddits that I'm on, they have people that discount quote unquote professionals. I guess not, quote unquote, they're actually professionals. Right. And they're saying, well, they must be wrong, whether it's a doctor or an attorney or, or if the police. It. Yeah. And it's like, you have these people that do this as their job. No offense to anybody that does this, but if you're just observing the case from the outside, mm-hmm. you're not a professional in anything. If you work as a, a nurse that doesn't give you the expertise to try to be, well, here's how the police should investigate, or here's what they missed. Yes, pathologist, right. And they always think that they're smarter than we, the we actual professionals. we tie that
0: in with, you know, we're going to talk about this in a future episode, but the armchair treasure hunt, the secret mm-hmm. yep. that Corey and I armchair follow. And, and there's people that are convinced they know where these buried casks are, and they will not listen to anybody else saying no. And like anybody else using evidence to say no, it's not here. They're so convinced it's there that it's in their spot that they won't listen to anything else. and that's that's what's kind of happening. And if, with if more somebody too, does like, post an alternate theory. they get just destroyed yeah, by the people. Yeah.
2: And if you're the, if you're in the minority on where something is or a point of view, the majority just discount you and just beat you down and, yeah, and, and like, make it difficult for you to even be like, all right, can we just talk about this? You know, you state your facts, I'll state mine. And just, they don't they don't care. No, like
0: Corey and I were talking right. about on Drive Down here, like the Maura Murray subreddit is almost not even about Maura Murray anymore. It's all infighting between, between Renner oh and... Uh, admins
2: and, and Twitter the admins fights. And, uh, and it's not about the missing girl anymore. It's no, about right. who's right. Yeah. And the focus is all wrong now. Yeah.
1: Well, and that, I think that's the, the whole point that I, I'm glad the documentary kind of covered those people, even though people didn't like that part of it. it it's a real kind of message to people that look at what you, they destroyed this guy's life for nothing. And and I understand. But
0: conversely, like look at the Kristen Smart thing where this yeah. guy did this podcast and now the, the son and the dad are in jail that they are pretty sure did it. So sometimes getting that stuff out there helps. Yeah. But sometimes it ruins lives. <laughs> right. Know, at the I same just think time. there's a
1: fine line between wanting to help and and misinformation. Yeah. And accusing people that you have no information about and 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 refusing to believe the facts that are right in front of you, even though you're not involved in it and you have no professional training whatsoever. Like I just think it's just a dangerous scenario and there's a fine line and I think what this boiled down to is that people just became so invested in it they wanted someone to hold accountable and they couldn't accept the fact that the only person accountable was Elisa yeah they can't accept it because yeah. now nobody can be held accountable or be put in jail for it yeah the- they
2: had that one youtuber who started crying <laughs> because he felt like he knew her oh my gosh. and like they never met and no. then like it just it he had the...
1: someone take a video of themselves putting their hand on her headstone for him because yeah. he couldn't do it himself. I'm like, wow, dude! Let and I it go.
2: get it when you're invested hundred hours into something, you think you're a quote unquote expert on it. But when you get emotionally involved, yes, and not looking at it subjectively, that's when that stuff. And like even for morbid, he never got an apology. Right, never. He never got anybody no. ever said anything or reached out to him. I think maybe one person may have reached out and said, "Hey, I'm sorry I brought your name up," but he didn't get any kind of apologies or right. any kind of. Sorry we pretty much ruined your life for the last while and Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. So we do mention in the in the episode, "Hey, I think they're making a movie about this." <laughs> I, I I didn't realize it, but that movie that I texted you I think last week and I'm like, "Yeah, don't watch this. It's stupid." It's called Followed. It's a found footage movie that it's basically they don't say they're at the Cecil they change the names of everything but there's an Asian woman who went into an elevator and went missing and that's why they're there and it's for his um his blog or something or his YouTube channel and he wants to get more if he gets a certain number of subscribers he'll get like a like a lot of money yeah that's what the goal is behind it and it's just it's not that scary it's really kind of hokey it's overproduced it doesn't feel like a found footage film yeah. it feels like a movie that was made to look like a found footage film so that's the movie we're referring to that i didn't even know i unwittingly watched but and a lot of these I don't YouTube channels it.
0: like looking into this are monetized, monetized where mm-hmm. the more hits they get the more money they get so the more
1: yeah, lured they're going to be and more sensational
0: they're going to be with the stuff.
1: Spreading misinformation. Yeah, there, there
2: is one of the YouTubers that was on the, the, the Lisa Lamb one that I do follow. He was like a an older guy who got into it. He he does a good job. I can't remember his name for the life of me now, but he was an older guy and he was on it and he was one of the better ones that didn't jump on things right away. But you know, even some of his other, you know, he follows a case or whatever and tries to investigate it and he... He even a, admits that he kind of gets into it and then he has to take himself out of it and then he'll do another one he'll kind of get into it. So he's constantly doing that, but it's a pretty popular YouTuber and he's got, he does like all the popular ones and even some less popular ones.
1: Is he the one that at the end was like the the biggest honor we can pay to her is to just accept the truth of what yes. happened and leave it alone? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but you know,
0: people aren't going to. No, people you know, are going like, to refuse to believe yeah. it no matter what. So basically, yeah. That's what I, I mean, think. do we do that in our podcast? Do we...
1: I don't think so. I think I'd i like to think we don't.
0: If we don't. I think you We're know. more
1: skeptical of everything that we cover. And but I, end, I seem
0: to. Rem- I seem. I wish I could listen to our Elisa Lamb episode because did we sensationalize her? Oh, I don't think so. Saying she might have been possessed or.
1: I think we talk about the theories. Yeah. And we we leaned more towards the stuff doesn't add up. Someone had to have been involved. Yeah. We we were like, but there's we nothing were, paranormal we were, about yeah, this. Yeah, but we, I think we were going off. But we were going off of the half information that yeah. was out there at the time. I, well, think, I think we're pretty good about. Well, I mean, this not episode also
2: shows something. that you guys are willing to go back. Yes. You know, it's not like you do a, a, a podcast and then forget about it. Right. You yeah. guys do go back and. And reanalyze I, I and feel change like, it a little bit to be like, okay,
0: here's what the facts are now. I feel like we right. need to do that more. We need to go back and talk about Maura Murray again with a better timeline. Yeah, that doesn't
1: involve a recipe for a steak burrito. I, mean, I think yeah.
2: we've talked about that too, where you guys should go back periodically and like, here's any updates from because, yeah. season one and just have a whole podcast based yeah. on, all right, here's some of the things. Episode one, nothing is new. Episode two, here's some things that have changed. Oh, that's a good idea. Episode three, here's some new things. Yeah. I mean, that could some of like might a not good have season any. finale, actually. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, basically it sounds like she stopped taking her medication. Mm -hmm. She started going into a manic or hallucinogenic state. Mm -hmm. Started seeing things. Um, I think they made a thing in the documentary that there's no way she went through that door. So she went through a window and up the stairs. Oh yeah, or the escalate, that uh, was a
1: question we had is, uh, how could she have gotten to a fire escape? They're at the end of like every hall. So she didn't have to go through a room. They're the accessible fire to everyone. Okay. Yes. saw
2: it at the tank and maybe she thought you know, people are watching and she went in and couldn't get out. Yeah, it's nice again, pretty cut and dry. It is yeah. pretty
1: cut and dry. So that's where I landed. It was a tragic accident. Nobody else I was agree. involved. I didn't even Do see Do I think a... maybe they could have done a better job of Hey, this woman doesn't seem stable. Should we check on her? That yeah, was something it, they kind of talk
0: about. It's always easier looking back.
1: But also, this is a hotel that's full of people who probably aren't very stable. Yeah. So, h- how do you zero in on yeah. one Who's person gonna, and, p- yeah. and give them attention? Yeah. I do I don't think know. that was
2: something the hotel manager said. Was that yes. it's not her responsibility to question the sanity of every right? Person Which it is because. You and know.
1: most of the the floors at that hotel are for permanent residents, yeah. and it's people who are wandering around Skid Row. I yeah. mean, it's not that this the couple of floors at this stay on Main was made trendy and kind of modern and and sort of nice, but I mean, the rest of the floors aren't so yeah. nice. So yeah, I, I get it. I mean, she's an adult.
2: Yeah, when you're sitting at a or sping, staying staying. A night at a, a trendy hotel—you don't expect the floor above you to be full of vagrants and skid roll, <laughs> right. people walking in and out. And
1: probably there's probably you know sex trade going on there. There's probably all kinds of drugs happening, and you know maybe if she had been staying at a nicer place, somebody would have questioned you know, her her medical state and and looked into it. Be, but because of where she was staying, used that to probably happen. played yeah. into it.
0: Yep, I agree.
1: It's sad. It's very sad. But I don't think there's anything mysterious no or paranormal or conspiracy,
0: I can, I or can, anything. <laughs> I can get on that train with you guys. I yeah. totally agree with that. All right. Wow. Okay. Oh, hey. Hour and forty-seven an, minutes. Not an, bad. Oh, we got to really zoom through our songs.
1: Oh yeah, we do have songs. Oh.
0: Um. Yeah. Uh. You We'd, couldn't
1: find any questions, No, right? our question
0: site, that Q-O-O-H, isn't working. So I'm yeah. going to see if I can get that working at home. So we're going to skip questions this week. Okay. We're just going to jump into our song. I'm going
1: to skip the jokes, too. Okay.
0: Our song thing for this week was a song that gives you hope.
1: Kurt could use that right now. Yes, I could.
0: <laughs> and this is one of my go-to songs. I'll go, I'll go first. i will go My and Because Corey was wondering if we would have the same one. And I said, I'd be really surprised. <laughs> because mine isn't one that you would think, maybe. See, mine's not one either. Mine's but, a country song. But so. <laughs> mine, mine and this, I don't know. Like, I talked about how years ago I got into running, and that's mm-hmm. when I started like liking dancey kind of music, mm-hmm. something that would give me like motivation to run. And one of my go to songs when I'm down and when I need a song that, uh, like gives me hope is the song Don't You Worry Child by Swedish House Mafia.
3: Oh.
2: Yeah,
0: that's a really good song. It, it is, is a really yeah. good song. And, uh, a lot of it is the video. Like the video shows, I've never been to a rave or an EDM concert Whatever. ever, nor would I probably ever go to one. We know you got glow but this sticks. is just like a really—it's a, a good like song, and then like halfway through the song, it it kicks in with like a like a ravey, and it shows Technobie. like the crowd. It shows everybody happy, mm. and it just makes me happy. And mm. I think it's a really uplifting song. But my song is "Don't You Worry Child" by Swedish House Mafia.
3: I yeah, think like the, I actually know that one. Yeah,
2: like the don't you worry child part is like a gospelish Yeah. You know, it's like kind of almost, sung by like like almost like rhythm and bluesish. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think I'm picturing the right song.
0: I'm making sure I'm calling it the right. Yeah, don't you worry, child by Swedish House Mafia. And I'll post a video. But I love, love, love that song. And when I was running, that was like one of my songs and like that was the first song that popped into my head for a song that gives me hope.
2: Nice. See mine's the same, the first the first song that popped in my head is a song from the 60s, and it's not what you, I, I don't think it would be considered something that you would give you hope, but it does for me, and that's The Birds with Turn, Turn,
0: Turn.
1: Oh, that's a great that, song. That is not
0: yeah. one that I would have thought you would have picked.
2: And it, every time it comes on, you know, I know it's, I believe it's Bible verses just sung.
1: It kind of is, yeah. I don't
2: know if it's like, huh. Klesias,
0: yeah, if you think about it. Klesiastes, yeah, Klesiastes, yeah. Caesar no, it words. is, it, it's biblical. Yeah. I know that.
2: And it's just, it, it, Talks about all these different things. Like if if this doesn't work,
0: you know, wait a little bit. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's you know. good. Or that that, a that time is a, for that is a that was the first For some reason, up. I thought you were going to do my second pick. Would have been that "Ooh Child" by the Five Stair Steps, well, song, which too. is a good, yeah. hopeful are song. Get yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that was my second pick, and I kind of thought that's what you were going to pick. Oh
2: well, my my, the second song that came to mind was "Never Too Late" by Oh Man. It's going to bother me now. Three Days Grace. I don't even know if I know that one. You can listen to it "On the Way Home." Okay. But if anybody's out there, that was my second one. So the birds, turn, turn,
0: turn. And gonna, I think we're going to have three days grace. forever. <laughs> we're going to uh, have quite the variation here. We got Swedish yeah. House Mafia, <laughs> the birds, the and life. Christos <laughs> is. Country?
1: Yeah, it's weird. I don't listen to country music, but somehow I must have stumbled across this song. At work, sometimes they have XM radio on no. or whatever, serious XM. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes they have the country station on.
0: That's one of my biggest pet peeves: is people that think country music is something different than it is. There's a lot of really good country music, and it's yeah. I can These get into days, some especially, of it. it's like borderline rock. Pop. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like I can get behind Zach Brown and um, Kelsey Ballerini. I kind of like her stuff. Like I too. love
0: Lady Antebellum. Or they're Lady called Lady A. Yeah, I don't know. What um,
1: so the the artist. I this song is by Casey Musgraves. Yeah, I think that's right. And the song is called Rainbow. And the song, I don't really like the video. I watched the video and it's too, it's just, I don't know, the video is too distracting from the song to me, but the song is basically like you're going through a rough time, you've got your umbrella, you think a storm is always over you, but really there's a rainbow that's been there the whole time and you just don't know that it's there and that the clouds are going to break and, and, and things are going to be okay. I feel like I might have heard this song. It's a really pretty song. Yeah. I mean... It's very pretty, so I'll I'll post
0: that on the Wow, the that's quite page the quite we'll mixture. We'll have everybody in a good mood after <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, I
2: don't. I there's really nothing that stands out. Like when you think of a song about hope, like there's I couldn't. That was just the first songs that came to my mind. I, I, I don't know if had a is, bunch
0: pop in my head. Like another one of my all-time favorite songs, even though it's kind of a cheesy song, is that uh oh, it's by Sean Mullins, Lullaby.
2: Oh, when Krista mentioned oh, country, yeah, is a good song. too, I thought she was going to go with uh.
1: I saw him at Summerfest once.
2: Uh, uh, we'll Lee Womack. The I, hope you I hope you. dance. Oh, I thought I hope that's you where you, you were yeah, going.
1: Yeah, that would never come to my mind. Yeah. yeah, that's old, right? That's older. Yeah, that's
2: yeah. like '90s country, I think. Yeah. Huh? Huh. Those were yeah, it's weird. So yeah. was, yeah. good time. pretty <laughs> much hit every genre. There, except yeah. for like, <laughs> we, <laughs> we did. We did. Yeah. Except like death metal. <laughs>
1: yeah. I thought that
0: you were going to come with something metal. Well, that's why the Three Days
2: Grace is the only thing in my wheelhouse. That I mean, it's it's more of a like
0: alt rock or whatever, but there's really well there's a song by oh i can't think of their name now I'm um, just totally blanking on it they sing a, uh, i shouldn't have even said it because now it's going to drive me nuts i can't think of the band's name but they they have a song that's kind of like a things will be all right kind of song and this is going to drive me nuts because i can't think of the name Maybe, of the it's band it's not three days grace it's not three of. days grace it's uh what are some of the words i don't know it's like titillating i can't i can't because i can't even think of the song i can't think of the band's name i can't (laughs) think of how the song goes but it was like one of those new not new metal but one of those songs from like a couple years ago like a but it was just like a a upbeat kind of song that Mm -hmm. it was like kind of don't give up you know better days are coming Hmm. so there are songs out there like that but that was the first one that popped in my head like i like Swedish house mafia no, I get it. I'm not going to be doing an EDM concert anytime soon, but I it have makes been me to happy. A few raves, it makes me happy to see people happy. Yeah. I think.
1: people are generally really happy at raves. I can tell you that. <laughs>
0: yeah, you can. Maybe fueled by you drugs. And your, you and your tea, whatever <laughs> that tea was, ayahuasca. ayahuasca. Oh,
1: I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ayahuasca. I've never taken ayahuasca. Okay.
0: Is that it for today?
1: That's it. We're at an hour and fifty three minutes. Perfect.
0: I'm glad I could help. We could do. We could do one joke.
1: Okay. I'm going to do the laugh-out-loud jokes because okay. they're way funnier. Um, what did the bride say when she dropped her bouquet? Whoops. You're close. Whoopsie-daisies. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hold on.
1: This deserves a... Uh... Thanks, Coleman, for these sound effects.
0: I don't even have my stuff up to do the deets. I don't have my... <laughs> I can't mm. do the deets, so okay. email us at sessions at gmail.com. You can. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the S. Krista does an awesome job on Instagram at
1: the Strange Sessions. The Strange
0: Sessions' our phone number I don't know off the top of my head, but we have gotten a couple voicemails lately, so we really, really appreciate those. I'm going to play those in our next episode, our catch up episode, and our our PO box is four three four. I don't remember. Oh, it's just going to be the Strange Sessions, Manitowoc, Wisconsin post office box 434 I don't remember the zip code. Oh, I can look at my phone.
2: I'll just give a shout out to the strange seller. It's
3: yeah, been baby. a pleasure. Yeah, yeah
2: shout We're out exciting
1: to, the, to have our first uh, yeah. guest host here. Shout
2: out to the sound engineers behind the glass, the social <laughs> media they came, team. They the, came all the way from yeah, the school. To five to do person this. social media team sitting over there.
1: And yeah, if you want to join our Facebook group The Strangers, feel free send a request you have to answer some questions yeah. but
0: and don't just answer yes for yeah. all of them don't like say we've yes been... for all three questions Yeah, because that's not the that's right
1: that's a answer. decline
0: uh we that's a strange sessions p.o box four three four mantel wisconsin five four two two one dash zero four three four
1: how important is that last four digits of the? I don't know.
2: Like I wonder it if you just sent it to apart, five, it breaks apart. It breaks apart districts in Manotoc. But if somebody just sent it to five
0: four two, two it, would well, it would still get still there. Get
1: there. Yeah. I've never used the last four digits I on either. anything I've but ever the mailed. Post office <laughs> people would probably be mad and they, probably
0: step I think it on it. helps it.
2: them sort based on where. They stop where on where it the is.
1: boxes that don't have it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah. So oh, I think that's times. it from The Strange Seller. So Corey, thank you. Mm-hmm. Corey likes to do his one one episode a season. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he likes to do. You and
1: Jamie, you're, you're, you pop in. And Rhonda and Mark.
0: Uh, Devin wants to be on the podcast. Devin bad, and so we're good Yeah, so we're going to have, because
1: they're starting spoilers a there, they
0: might start their own podcast, so maybe we could.
1: They want to learn from the pros. <laughs> we'll have to
0: see if we can get some in here. <laughs> we forget
1: to bring their deeds and sometimes don't do taste yeah we, yeah, got, yeah, we
0: can't get in our questions. I forgot the deeds.
1: <laughs> we don't have a flash drive. <laughs> we don't have a find the flash drive.
0: So yeah, we're a, we're a hot mess, but somehow we make it work. And
1: people still like to listen. So, so. Corey,
0: thank you so much for joining. Yeah. Right. Thanks for having me. Uh, start planning already for your next episode, next season. All right,
2: it gives me enough time. Now. Give you enough time.
0: <laughs> yeah, but when Corey jumps into something, he does a good job. Yeah, of he researching dives it. in.
1: I mean, he does some good research. I
0: look on Wikipedia. And I'm like, all right, that's enough. I'll make up the rest. <laughs> I
1: watch a
2: TV show. <laughs> hey, at least so, I didn't have to listen to five hours of YouTube videos like I did for the last one. Well, oh, man. was it? Was that's that commitment. Mel's Hole? Yeah, there was Mel's yeah, Hole, all the coast yeah.
0: to coast Collins. Yeah, oh yoy. good stuff. <laughs> so, from Krista, Corey, and myself in the strange cellar. Until next time, stay, stay strange. strange.